a well, this is a regular episode. I'm gonna say special episode there for a second. Every episode is special in well, its own way. I was gonna say it's a special episode because we will be giving you ah. the breakdown of who will win the Oscar predictions. Yeah, here. here. Only here can you listen to somebody say, I know who's gonna win and it actually be correct. Yes. Um asterisk. What, <laughs> we we combine twenty-three out of twenty-four winners. <laughs> <laughs> Every year? Yeah, we can almost guarantee that we will be right. Yes. Mutable Podcast is always right. That's the almost guarantee. Yes, that's the almost guarantee. But we will get to those predictions later. If you stick around to the end of the show, we will help you win your um, Oscar party uh, brackets. But before we get to that, we are the Media Boat Podcast. Yeah. Welcome. We talk about movies, TV, music, video games. Not necessarily in that order. My name's Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. Matt. His name is Mike. Ooh, a little struggle there. Um, today is March the 26th, 2022. This is episode 301... 24? 24. 324 for you. A little mixed up letter numbers there. Um, thanks for joining us. Let's get rolling right ha, into This is episode 324 on yeah. 326. Hey! Hey! What do you know? What do you know? All Yep. Go for so, it. Let's start the podcast then. So like I said, before we get all the way to our Oscar predictions, we got to start at the top with music. And yes. we start the music with the billboard, and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And staying hot, hot. <laughs> continuing to be your number one song, Heat Waves by Glass Animals. Yeah. As it rolls into spring here mm-hmm. in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number two. Stay by the Kid Roy and Justin Bieber. Moving up. Uh, coming in at three, Super Gremlin <laughs> by Kodak Black. At number four, A, B, C, D, E, F, U by Gale. Okay. And dropping down to number five, but not out of the top five yet, yeah. We Don't Talk About Bruno so, yeah, by Encanto. Perhaps Bruno's magic is wearing off a tad bit as we get into the spring season here. Yeah, so or, we'll see how long it lasts in the top five. Or here. probably all the parents who have to listen to it, are, it. are done listening to it. <laughs> like, let's move on. Please play any other song. Let's go back to Let It Go, for God's sake, please. You know what it is? <laughs> what is it? It's because um, Turning Red came out on uh-huh. Disney+. Plus, So they're, they're no longer watching Encanto. Having seen Turning Red, though, I can't imagine the same kids are getting as much out of Turning Red as they are. Uh, out of Encanto. You're right. You can see a lot of stuff in Turning Red going straight over their head. Just whoosh. You're right. They're all tuning in to Panda. Sure. Panda, yes, panda, panda, that's panda. Exactly what it is. Yes, Designer is Designer's there Panda. Fascinated by this movie, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, what about our 200, our albums chart? Yes, as for your album chart, your Billboard 200. Yes. Um, coming in at number one, 7220 mm-hmm. by Lil Dirk. That means. I don't know what that number signifies. 7220? It's too long to be a area code. It's too short to be a zip code. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that is. And there's no like slashes or dashes. Is that his ATM pin number? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let, let's see. Um... I just realized I'm such, I'm such a 10 key dork. I literally did. The 10 <laughs> key. <laughs> I literally did it. Anyway. <laughs> well, see, I thought it was like. Like pin, co- like the um, alphabet code for it. No, um, but zero isn't anything. <laughs> there doesn't mean anything. Yeah, zero doesn't mean anything. So it's nothing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't uh, know what to tell you. All right. Uh, <laughs> at number two, 
what it means to be king by King Von. And you would know. Uh, at three, Encanto by various artists. Yeah. Coming in at number four, Danger Arrest, the double album by Morgan Wallen. And rounding out your top five, who cares? No, no, I need you to tell me what, what your number five is. Oh, who cares? Like, come on. This is a podcast for professionals. Tell me what the name of the record that is at number five this week. The, the name of the record is Who Cares? I do! Third base. All right. All right. All right. And, and it, <laughs> you hit it. Okay. Yeah. It is Who Cares by Rex Orange County. I, sorry, I could not resist. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, congratulations, Rex Orange County, on making the top five. Yeah, I guess. But then again, who cares? Ah, there, <laughs> it is. there it is. All right. All right. What if I didn't like any of those? What if I need new releases? If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. All right. Including Pep. Yes. By Lights. Get ready for a lot of caps this week. <laughs> Immutable by Meshuga. Mm-hmm. The unraveling of Pup the Band. All caps. Yeah. By Pup. All caps. All caps. I will be listening to this. I like it. And Unlimited Love by <laughs> the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Yes. Those Red, Red Hot, Hot Chili Peppers. Peppers. Back. Um, the signal, singles that I've heard uh, sound like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know what to tell you. It sounds like that. You know exactly what you're getting into with this, is what I'd say. Um, I don't know if we talked about it last week, um, but Foo Fighters also had a new album. Oh, yeah, sadly, um, debut. Well, we'll get we to will it. talk about Foo Fighters. We'll talk about Foo Fighters. For great reasons. But. Yes, but uh, Dream Widow is their latest release that just came out uh, yesterday. I don't think we talked about it last no, week. No, I don't think we did. I didn't um, see it on the release calendar. Yep, I didn't see it on the release calendar later. Is it related to that movie that they put out um, last month? The 666? Yeah. Studio 666? Off of that? It might be. I don't know. Anyway, but like I said, they are in the news this week. We will talk about that a little later. Yes, a little later. Uh, but first, we'll get into some music news, and yeah, it's award show time. So I don't usually... It depends on the year when I actually put this into our news, and it just so happens it was a really slow week, so I put it anyways. So, the ninth, yes, ninth yes. annual iHeartRadio Music Award. Almost be ten of these things. Uh Next year's going to be the <laughs> X version. You believe it? Wild. Uh, ten years of streaming. More than that. Well, yeah, but the iHeart Music yeah. Awards. Uh, so, they took place on March 22nd at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, the broadcast was live to Fox, where the show was hosted by none other than LL Cool J. Yeah. With performances by Megan The Stallion, Jason Aldean, John Legend, I'm sorry, the legend, comma, John, <laughs> Charlie Puth, Billy Porter, and Eurovision winner, Mainskin. Monoskin? Mainskin. Monoskin? That's how I've heard it pronounced. Monoskin. Yep. Uh, so during the award show, Jennifer Lopez was recognized with the 2022 iHeartRadio Icon Award. Yeah, sure. Um, and also took to the stage, uh, which included a message uh, about equality. Uh, uh, for a dazzling performance of her new single, On My Way, along with the classic Get Right. Of course. Others who appeared in person to accept trophies included Olivia Rodrigo, Silk Sonic, Lil Nas X, and the Kid Leroy. Mm -hmm. 
elsewhere, yeah. Rocker's Foo Fighters yeah. took home multiple awards, while Monskin, Monskin. were named Best <laughs> New Alternative Artist. For some reason. Because it came out of Eurovision. <laughs> I guess. Uh, New Jersey's Jersey Jacks. <laughs> Who's that for? Oh, they know who it's for. <laughs> who attended? Who attended the show uh, with her mom? Also, was recognized as TikTok Songwriter of the Year. I don't know who this is. It's okay. You know who Dua Lipa is. I'm over the age of thirty, though, so <laughs> that may be why. Well, at least Dua Lipa, who was playing across town at the Forum, yeah, the night stand. You might know something about that. Yeah, won for Song of the Year. <laughs> For Levitating hey. and Dance Album of the Year for hey. Future Nostalgia. I guess this is probably the moment where we should probably talk about Dua Lipa. Yeah, I went and saw Dua Lipa in concert. How was Dua Lipa in concert? Uh, my 2020 um, Album of the Year yeah. for Future Nostalgia. Yeah. Tour had to be delayed because <laughs> COVID. Right. So now it's out, it's back, yeah. and... Was it worth the wait? Oh, so there's a reason. I think I've set a new bar. Of what <laughs> that constitutes me choosing my um, concerts. No, no, not no? my con- no, my album of the year. Okay, and that is would I see them in concert? Oh, yeah, with this album. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good pull. Because for the past three years, <laughs> uh, I saw Midland in concert, yeah, who was did. my number one. Yeah. I saw, um, I just saw Dua Lipa, who was my number one. For the Future Nostalgia. Yeah. And later this year, I have Eric Church tickets. So there you go. Uh, who was my uh, number one last year? Correct. So I think that's my new bar. I guess so. It what might, I see in the concert it might be. And you know what? That concert did not disappoint. Oh, I'm sure. That was a great concert. I, I mean, aside from loving the songs from the album and just singing every word with it, <laughs> but the concert itself was great. It was bombastic. It was that uh, almost arena filling. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was sold out two nights at sure. the forum, so it did fill the arena. But I'm talking about like the open air, like football stadiums, right. kind of loud music. It was a dance party. Sure. Through yeah. and through. And of course, I mean, you listen to that record and it, it practically demands that you go up and dance to it. Yeah. I mean, even when I, we, I mean, if you listen back to 2020 when we first talked about yeah. it, it was a shame that the, the record came out because all you wanted to do was go to the club and dance to it. Right. Yeah. And you literally couldn't do that. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm glad it was a good time. Oh, it was a fun time. Cool. So, I uh, should have worn this hat there. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sparkles everywhere. Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, so I mean, cool. makes me kind of excited and yet nervous as well as to what Dua Lipa's next album will be. Yeah. Because as we've seen, it's hard to top a chart-topping album. Yeah. Case in point, Casey Musgraves. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. Different vibe to that one, though. Yes. Less dancey. Yes. <laughs> but we'll talk about uh, Casey Musgraves' counterpart, Maren Morris, a little bit later. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but... Before we get to that, any other um, any other bits about the iHeartRadio Music Awards? No, that's not really. That's basically what you need to know. Uh, you can kind of piece together basically by the names that I mentioned what they probably won, yes. like pop album for Olivia Rodrigo, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, Love rap album. You know, you uh, get the so idea. Sorry for R&B. And so I didn't need to necessarily spell that out for you. Um, also, they don't really matter. Like, yes, we realize we're going to the Grammys in another week. Yep. Um, but uh, this will not be a bellwether of how those will go. They're very different shows. <laughs> uh, real quick, um, on that note, the Grammys yes. will not be having Kanye perform. 
Yeah, uh, I didn't include that because it's not a huge deal. Uh, but well, Grammys are next week, so that's when typically we'll talk about all the news surrounding right. it. But yeah, he was banned from performing at the Grammys because of his uh, recent banning from Instagram. Um, so yeah, just being embarrassing on social media does have uh, consequences. The consequences out. of my actions yeah. have consequences? He still, however, could win a Grammy that night. Yes. So we will see if that happens. Uh, I think that's for Donda, right? Correct, for yeah. rap albums. So yep. we'll see. <laughs> yep. uh, best album of the year nominee... Kanye West for Donda <laughs> will not be performing no. at the Grammys. And thank God. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on. Anyways, on a brighter note, uh, last week we talked about Arcade Fire returning yes. with a new album. Well, they also have some good news. Yes. As the band Arcade Fire raised more than $100,000 for PLUS1's U- Ukraine Relief Fund through five surprise club shows. Yeah. Uh, one, which was in New Orleans, and four, which was scattered about New York, mm-hmm. in the which all happened in the course of a week. Yeah. Um, wristbands for the gigs at New Orleans T- Toulouse Theater, mm-hmm. which was on March 14th, and New York's Bowery Ballroom, which was on the 18th through the 21st, were distributed at random locations throughout both cities, and fans were invited to pay whatever they could afford for entry. Mm. They represented Arcade Fire's first full live shows since February of 2020 and ahead of the May 6th release of the new uh, album, We. Yeah, I mean, this isn't super surprising if you followed Arcade Fire through their career. They've always been very philanthropic. They've always done to done what they can to help causes. They've always been very aware of world events and who needs help. So it was cool to see them do something like this for Ukraine. Um, it's a really good uh, move right before an album release. And just, it just shows that they're good people overall. Uh, the other little bit that I should mention that's not in the story, but should be mentioned if you are an Arcade Fire fan, one of the members that's left the band, Will Butler, who is brother of Wynn Butler, the singer, who has been a... Uh, is there a Wolf Butler? Anyways, no, there's a place in the show. Anyways, um, um, so so Will Butler, who has had a long career with the band as well as a solo career in his own right, has decided to pursue other opportunities and has left the band. So he will not be touring with them from here on out. It is why that in this tour and uh, recent performances, he has been replaced by somebody else. That's because he's no longer with them, but yeah. Not really. We will continue touring, of course, and the record was still recorded with him, I believe. But yes, uh, just a little FYI for Arcade Fire fans. But yeah, um, it's cool to see. That's all, that's good money for a good cause, and it's cool to see them get back up and doing live shows um, in anticipation of the record. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Get their name back out there. Remember, remembering that Arcade Fire yeah. is a band. Yes, they still exist. They still exist. <laughs> all right. Speaking of bands and still existing, yeah, uh, we have a hot country artist on the rise. Yeah, uh, this could be considered Stagecoach Preview. I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. She'll be at she'll, Stagecoach. She'll, be at stage she'll be performing these songs, and, I, and I'll be in attendance. And yeah, I think that it will sound good because I've got good news about Mary Morris's new record, Humble Quest. I think it's good. I'm glad you think it's good. Uh oh. <laughs> Don't like how that was phrased. Um, <laughs> 
So last week we talked about Haley Witters, yes, whose um, new record was uh, to me a tad bit disappointing. It was a more traditional sounding country record with more traditional sounding lyrics, for better or for worse. Meanwhile, Marin Morris seems to be on a little bit on a different wavelength than Haley Witters, uh, coming off of crossover success with songs with her big smash crossover. The Bones from last year, yep. two years ago. And then even before that with The Middle with the Chainsmokers, yep. right? Middle. And so, yeah, so she's had some really big pop successes. So what does she do? She rejects that and puts <laughs> out a record that actually sounds like her golden hour. Yeah, it's uh, weird because, as you mentioned, she was going into that pop direction. And then yeah. Casey Musgraves, as I mentioned before, right. did, did go into that pop direction Right sort of, her. sort of, but a muted, more so than Golden Hour. Yeah, a muted kind of like a version of kind of what she experimented with on with on Golden Hour, but like refined into more of the vibe is what I would say about um about that record, which I'm blanking on the name of. <laughs> Sad of, of what of Mary Moore? <laughs> uh, no, the the uh, Casey Musgraves record that came out last year. Oh, the Heartbreak record. Yeah, what is it called? The Heartbreak record. No, Starcross. Starcross. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, this is a little, this is basically Marin trying, or not trying, I think she's still doing something that's uniquely her. Mm -hmm. It definitely sounds like Marin Morris. The, the writing is very much similar to the kind of writing she's good at. And it does, it does fit pretty well in her discography. But the production gets an upgrade here. And it sounds like some of the best production work on Golden Hour. There's a lot of really interesting instrumentation here. Experiments with synths, experiments with different kind of vibes. And uh, Greg, uh, I think to to uh, to credit for this is producer Greg Kirsten, who you might rec recognize from. He's worked a lot with Beck. He worked with Adele a few times. He's got a very kind of he's got a like a, a history of doing very vibey West Coast kind of sounding kind of records, and his work is very clear in this one. And so ultimately, it sounds like a country album through the lens of a nice, quiet drive, like an evening drive by the beach. Is how I would put it. Okay. And I love the vibe of this thing. It sounds pristine. It sounds great. Marin Morris has never sounded better, in my opinion. I think the lyrics are really good. Not once did I did I think anything was cheesy or, I'm or sorry. too much like it was in Haley Witters. I'm sorry. <laughs> did you listen to Tall Guys? I thought it was cute. That I, was I, the I cheesiest. But it's supposed to ever. be. But it's supposed to be. It's it's this cute little like ode to her boyfriend who is taller than him. Right. They talked about the same song. I was like, she wrote this for time. She wrote this for time. She wrote this <laughs> for time. He's gonna love it. Oh yeah. Right. No, I was gonna like both of the songs on this album are can be associated to someone in your life. I think that's yes. a good and that's of the it. thing. This is what I wanted that Haley Witters record to be almost every step of the way because unlike what she did. This is personal. It is an extremely personal record. It's talking about Marin Morris's own experience in the industry and her life and her relationships. That's what makes good music, good emotional music, is tell me a story from your perspective. Don't tell me some generic stuff about, oh yeah, we love to drink beer at home. Marin Morris care. lists things. This is important. This stuff sounds like it's from the heart. This is this is from her soul. Like the I think that it starts on such a high note with Circles Around This Town, which I think is my personal favorite Marin Morris song right now. I think it does such a good job. It reminds me of like of the best uh, Casey Musgraves. And and it's just it's such a good song about like 
about what it means to like have sudden success, but then also feel like you're still not where you want to be in your career. It's this good balance, and the rest of the record follows that by just just continuing those vibes. I I really had a good time with this thing. Uh, it's a very country album. Um, but through but a through, modern lens, which yes. is the thing that I think when I think about country records that I like now in like in this era, those are the ones that I like the most. Your golden hours mm-hmm. is like the way to use traditional country, the, like the vocabulary of country music, but through a lens of a more modern production and interesting, different, like popish take on it. It feels less stagnant. Okay. Like I said, she's gonna play the set. <laughs> like she's gonna play yeah. that stagecoach. Um, this is a t- very much a touring album, mm-hmm. as I mentioned. You're gonna find something on this album that you're gonna like, that you're gonna f- uh, fall in love with, that you're going to point mm-hmm. to and say, "Hey, <laughs> this song reminds me of that person." Yeah. And Not think, specifically yeah. that person. And so yeah, you might but listen, that person. That's a good point because you might listen to this and be like, "This isn't super arena friendly. This doesn't seem super stagecoachy." But I feel like you're right. You're onto something there because when songs really touch you and are very personal and are like are very emotional like this, it'll work no matter what. It'll cut mm-hmm. through that arena noise, and you'll still it'll still be a moment that you have at stagecoach with your friends. Yep. I have a take. Yep. Okay. Um, I think it's good, but I think Maren Morris runs into the fact that she had probably her actual best song with her. <laughs> um, oh, circles around this town. No, she's uh, like, talking about first single. Oh, her uh, first single, "My Church." My Church. Yeah. yeah, like it's sort of how Casey Musgraves set the bar yeah. so high with Golden Hour. Right. Like no matter what she released after, it's probably not going to quite live up to the hype. That doesn't mean it's a bad album. Starcross right. is good. Humble Quest. I need to listen to it again. I, I think yeah. It was very good. I got Golden Hour vibes kind of yeah. too. Um, which you wouldn't think would translate to Stagecoach either, but, but that it was did. one of the best yeah. sets yeah. we've ever seen at Stagecoach. I was blown away. Yeah. Um, I think she was a sore German that day, <laughs> and she brought the house down more than she did. Oh, yeah. So, I'll go. Yeah, yeah she gave her a little butterfly. I agree. Like yes. I said, she so, took that crossover success and kind of almost took a step back a little bit. Right. Her, from her Girl from her. is a much poppier record. Yes. And it's very interesting to see her be like a little course like a little course correcty a little yeah. bit. To be like, eh, Even though it has the bones on it. Leaned all the way in. It's a full right. full lead, yeah. No, it's just very interesting. Because you see Country Radio is only playing justified. It's yeah. the only song off the record that they're playing. Exactly. And honestly, I never really hear it because it's, I don't yeah. think it's that country, but I mean, now the lines are so blurred. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. Yes. Eric Church is like a rock star. Oh, yeah. Hey, get Robin Thicke out here with those blurred lines. <laughs> and I'm not complaining about Eric Church. Oh, sure, yeah. It's not a bad thing, but no, you're right. Yes, yes. He's, he's really leaning into that, and it's really helped him. Yep. I'm going to have to give it another shot. But I do think it's interesting that it's sort of a 
Yeah. Girl. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it kind of lost me to be honest. When yeah. I listened to that, I think we talked about it. We did podcast, talk about it. But I was like, yeah, I don't, I didn't quite vibe with it. I was like, because I was wanting something a little bit more Casey from her mm-hmm. in that era, and it wasn't. And that was pre Golden Hour, though, which is important to, to, to differentiate oh, between yeah. the two eras. But. Yeah, and uh, Casey Musgraves, that was the number one that I went to go see in concert. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the bones are really good. Still great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where radio takes from here, too, because mm-hmm. they're playing around this town, but is there anything else that they're going to take up from it? It's going to be like trickier, I, said, I think. All because radio didn't play uh, Golden Hour, yeah. and so it'll be really interesting to see where her career goes from here, because she has made a choice, capital C, yep. with this, and I think it's great creatively, and I think it's great like art-wise, but you're right. Will her career change because of this? Yeah. I don't know. Well, but, I think of Mm-hmm. It really yeah, radio. it became it, critical, darling. Yes, expanded her audience way bigger than country, and I think it could happen here, even though she's already had crossover success before. I don't know. It'll be interesting. That's yeah. We'll see. Good take. Good take. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, a fresh opinion here instead of just us. Yes, <laughs> a delicious uh, female opinion on female artists. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's Marilyn Morris's. Humble Quest, uh, yeah, uh, check that out. It's on streaming now. Uh, media Boat Approved? Media Boat Approved, yeah. I think that's a big thumbs up. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, let's get to some video games. And yes. we start with new releases. Um, starting with Crusader Kings 3. Yes. For the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Yeah, if you missed this on the PC, this is the console release. Only for next gen. So, Crystar for the Switch. <laughs> Death Stranding Director's Cut. Yeah. For the PC. If you missed this on the PS5 and would rather play this on the PC, there you go. Um, or if you want to wait for it to be modded to death, <laughs> here it comes. Yes, if you just want to play as Conan O'Brien. It's <laughs> the only reason I would play. Anyway. Uh, I was going to try to make a, a death stand-up joke there. but <laughs> <laughs> um, There's also Moss Book 2. Yes. For the PS4. That's PS4 exclusive because that is PS4 VR. It was a sequel to Moss, which was also a VR release. Right. Moss was the one about the mouse. Yes. Um, Starship Troopers. Terrain Command. Terran. PC. Terran Command. Terran Command. Yeah. No eye there. Weird to see a strategy game based on Star Tro- Tro- Starship Troopers in. What year is this? 2022. You know, someone who really loves Starship Troopers, <laughs> finally made it to the top. Finally did it. And said, I'm going to make this game that I always wanted to play. Always wanted XCOM Starship Troopers. Let's make it! Yep. Anyway. Uh, and lastly, Weird West. Yeah. For the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. But, as we mentioned last week, the games you're probably going to play <laughs> this week and next week is either Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Right, yes. Or uh, Tina's Wonderlands. Well, let's be real. Elden Ring. Because that's all everybody is ever playing now. So, Ugh. I mean, yeah. If you want to stop dying in Elden Ring, there's Ugh. other games that you can play yeah. to like actually accomplish a story. Other games to resist. <laughs> yes. PSA from the Media Build Podcast. <laughs> anyway, we'll get there. I have a little bit of Elden Ring to talk about later. Too. Yeah, yeah. So you did try it. Uh, yeah, try. There's a lot of weight is being put on that word. Yes. Okay. Before we get news. there, let's get to some video game news. And we start with Gran Turismo. 
seven. This is a bit of a follow-up story, because last week we talked about how nobody could play it for a full day. Right, because the servers went down. Well, then, when it came back, maybe people still didn't want to play. Yeah, because developer Polyphony Digital. Polyphony. 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 A bunch of phonies they are, because they confirmed (laughs) that it will rebalance the in-game currency system. Yes. In response uh, to ongoing criticism by the players. Mm-hmm. So, last week, uh, the PlayStation Racer uh, has, or sorry, has has Sony's lowest ever user score on Metacritic. Yeah. Which, at the time of the writing, mm. was at 1.5. Yeah, I got a review bomb. Yep. Uh, which was likely due to a number of factors including the amount of grinding needed to buy the game's cars and subsequent patch that made the grinding even longer. Combine that with the lengthy downtime period of uh, rendering, ended up rendering the game virtually unplayable for more than a day. In a new update um, published on Friday, the Gran Turismo creator Kazunori Yamuchi uh, I think that's how you say it, more or less. <laughs> uh, he apologized for the issues and promised to alleviate them with the upcoming update. Mm-hmm. In the long term, uh, Yamachi said the dev team would add the much requested ability to sell cars for in-game credits. Yeah, so basically what happened How is that here, not a thing? That's always been a thing. So yeah, basically what happened here is that when it was launched, there was a certain price for cars that seemed reasonable. And right. That's why initial reviews didn't seem to have much problem with that with that grind but they raised it like a week after release right before the downtime happened mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the fans were like wait what why do i have to have a million coins or whatever the currency is to buy a car now what happened it was like hundred thousand yesterday or something it was some sort Someone of ridiculous place yeah and so even after the downtime people were still like wait a minute why do i have to work so hard why did they change the economy so drastically out of nowhere is this based on some sort of metric that they're not surfacing, like oh, inflation, digital inflation. Yeah, digital, <laughs> like inflation is real, but it doesn't affect video games. Like you don't have to, like you don't have to do this. The, so, the, the crime that is going on in GTA Online <laughs> is affecting that of Grand Turismo Seven. I guess so. I don't know. So yeah, it didn't make much sense, and they're trying to walk it back here. They're trying to say that they're going to rebalance it with a patch. Nah, I don't know, man. I feel like. There was a moment there when the reviews hit where it seemed like this game was going to be well-liked. There was a moment there where we're like, oh, cool, Gran Turismo is back. It matters again. Forza was kind of eating its lunch for the last, like, decade. Now it's going to be, like, it's got its, like, quality back up and people are talking about it again. And I guess who things, got stuck with their yeah, real spinning? These two things back-to-back have really given them a PR nightmare over there. It's really taken, like, the rug right out of, uh, right from under them. Now it seems like it's just bad news about Gran Turismo 7 everywhere you look. And I I just feel a little, like, sad about it. I feel like they, they almost had that cultural cachet again, and they squandered it. Well, because Gran Turismo 7 has always been the, here's what the new PlayStation can yes. do. Here's it's a tech all demo. The, the tech demo of lighting and physics and uh, just graphics engineering overall. Yeah. And yet, if you can't play the game and appreciate right. it... Yeah. If it doesn't work towards the strengths of the franchise. Mm-hmm. 
which is you know playing new cars, getting new cars, looking at them into the replay mode, and seeing all that cool those cool lighting effects and photo mode looks so realistic. Yeah. Of Gran Turismo Seven. It's the or, thing. That, sorry, uh, five. I think collection of cars is the reason why this game exists. It's a love letter to cars. It's made by people who love cars. If you're prohibiting people from getting new cars. You're taking the game part away from them. The racing is only part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm hoping they clean up their act. I'm hoping that there's a little bit of a redemption arc with Gran Turismo 7. But if not, they've really wasted the potential of this game. So yeah, we'll see. Speaking of wasting potential. Speaking of wasted potential. And PR Nightmares. Oh, are we going straight to PR Nightmares here? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, users are currently reporting that Nintendo Wii Shop Channel... And the Nintendo DSi shop channel. I don't remember that song. Because um, everyone <laughs> played that on mute. We're both deaf. I didn't know the DSi. That's my DSi. We're both reportedly down with no prior warning from Nintendo. Players who attempted to access the Wii shop in order to re-download any previously purchased content will be greeted with a blank page followed by the error code 209601. Unable to connect to the server. Please wait a moment and try again. Visit Nintendo visit support.nintendo.com for assistance. According to Nintendo's support site, this mm -hmm. error generally indicates the inability to get a good connection due to wireless interference. Not the case here, we should mention. Yes, not the case here. Uh, while the Nintendo Wii Shop channel did cease to allow new purchases in 2019, the ability to re-download the previously purchased content was not affected. It was announced at the time that the ability to re-download this content would end at some undisclosed point in the future. However, no further announcement has been made. Users attempting to access the Nintendo DSi shop are being met with error code 29502, which, according to Nintendo, is related to wireless interference. Also. Quote, unquote. <laughs> with both systems seemingly resulting in similar error messages, this may be an unintentional error on Nintendo's yeah. part. Skip this part and then move to the last sentence. <laughs> Nintendo eventually commented about the downtime, saying it was performing extended maintenance, which is always yeah. the case of something goes down. Oh, we're just extended maintenance. So, this is extra weird, considering that you just had the big story over the last, over this past winter about them, them being like, shutting, it shutting down. down the Wii U's shop mm -hmm. and the 3DS's shop and then having to move that back once people complained about it. And that wasn't supposed to happen until March of 2023. Now, you have Nintendo kind of, like, hedging on the thing that they promised to Wii owners and mm -hmm. DSi owners, which is that even though you can't buy new stuff, which is still true, also prohibiting you from re-downloading things, which is what this specifically this outage specifically affects. So the promise that they made, which is you'd still be able to re-download your stuff, they're not whoop, even whoop, able to whoop, keep whoop, that. Whoop, whoop. This is them walking it back. Whoop, 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 so whoop, whoop, the whoop. fact that Nintendo is calling this extended maintenance does lend some hope that this was not a per permanent decision and this is not the mm -hmm. servers going offline forever. But it does make Nintendo look even worse than they did before because it looks like even their promise to do this is not a guarantee. 
even the thing that they said is the compromise is not always going to be the case. And the fact that it is is that they have the ability to turn it off at any point, and they could do it like for for unexplained reasons. This sounds like something that you could almost say three months later, everybody's going to forget about it and be like, hey, remember when they said that this would eventually get turned back on and they never turned it back on? I think this is a stealth way for them to do it without the (laughs) lousy PR saying Nintendo turned the shop off. Well, this is just like with um, Halo saying, we'll provide constant updates for you, <laughs> and then two months later, oh have zero God. word on it. <laughs> Speaking of games that had so much goodwill and have squandered it, no one is talking about Halo Infinite anymore. They completely whiffed it on the post-game content for Halo Infinite, but we do not have time to get oh, into that. Oh, don't worry. Words. It's coming. Someday. Here's quotes. Jeez, when can I play co-op? For God's sake. Anyways. Yeah, just video games. They're a disaster, constantly. Just 100% of the time, garbage fire. It's okay. There is a... So, here on the Boat Podcast, we tend not to deal in rumors. <laughs> yes. We try not to... Uh, we try to stick to the facts that if there's a rumor floating around, yeah. uh, unless it's, like, confirmed by yeah, various sources, like we did out. with the OLED for right. Nintendo Switch, they will report on it. There's a report out there yes. about the PlayStation Plus. Yes. Possibly combining with PS Now. You know how you but have that. But there is a news next week. Yeah, you know you have that thing at the bottom of this document the where news you next week. If I was doing that, I would have put it there. But yeah. instead, it's in the like my memory bank yeah. in a similar fashion. Yes, we are not talking about the PlayStation Game Pass equivalent yet because it's not confirmed. Yeah, but supposedly, it's all over the place. Supposedly, yeah. there will be an announcement next but, week, which means if there is an announcement, we will talk about it. But, next week, when something is concrete out of PlayStation. Yes, but the other reason why I'm not talking about it is because it is not the thing it needs to be. All rumors seem to point to that thing just being a repository for old PlayStation games, not new PlayStation games. The Which reason is Game why Pass is. Game Pass is as successful, successful as it is is because Microsoft does day one first-party releases. Sony's not never going to do it. And you might want it. I want it. Everybody wants it. But they are doubling down so much on the $70 prestige purchase, they will never, ever give you that game for like for a subscription. They will, won't do it. So don't but what get they will too do excited for is, this thing. But what, what they will do is take away your PS Go and your PS3 <laughs> online stores. Yes. Much just like Nintendo did. Much like <laughs> Nintendo did. Well, so that's a garbage fire, but you know what's not a garbage fire? A little pink ball? Actual video games. Actual video games. Because turns out the industry might be terrible, but games are still good. And advertising is hilarious. Did you happen to see the Kirby Target <laughs> advertising? The that, that they cover up the red balls with Kirby. Yes, yes. I have seen this. I've not seen this in person yet. I really am hoping that my local Target did it because that's just adorable to me. But yes, it's time to talk about Kirby. Yes. So Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Yes. The game is released. Yes. Uh, mine is on its way. Yes. It's in the mail. So, you have played this. I played the first ro- world of uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, because that's what I've had a chance to play so far. I wish I could play more of it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of crossover with this and the demo, because two of the levels that are in the first world are in that demo. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it I've seen already. But the stuff that I hadn't seen, I'm still very excited about. I'm still having a lot of fun with it. I've got good news. This is a good Kirby game. And I think that they're taking a lot of the criticism that Kirby games have received in the past and really taking it to heart. 
This is a Kirby game that actually scales to the difficulty you want to play it as. Not to say Kirby games haven't done that in the past. Yes, it's a series that often has people say that it's too easy. A lot of people, like, uh, the number one criticism about Kirby is that they're aged down. They're platformers that are designed for younger audience. I think that's not a bad thing. I think that's great, especially in an era where Elden Ring is, is something that you're whacking your head against for, for uh, like, weeks on end and feeling like there's not a whole lot of progression there. This is a game you can go in and very easily progress. This is a very game that's designed around giving you that serotonin hit Every like every, with every level, everything that you're doing is just happy, and there's so much celebration happening, and it feels like you're making progress and doing like fun things throughout the game. So it is kind of the anti-Souls game in a way. But that's not to say that there's not challenge in Kirby games. Kirby games are also, while that's all true, known for uh, rewarding players for exploration, that extra mile. There's always something in a Kirby game to be like, yeah, you can just finish the level, or you can go back and play the same level and get every single collectible, every single item checklist the hell out of it. And you know that's it's in my brain back. Exactly. There. For those 100 percenters. And so there's something there for those people as well. And the thing that Forgotten Lands does best is it does that better than any Kirby game has ever done. From the jump, you get an option for a more difficult uh, difficulty level or an easier difficulty level already helping more experienced Kirby players have a better time with it. Then on top of that, there's so many secrets in these levels. One of the advantages of doing 3D level design, which is a first for the series, is that there's so many new ways you can do secrets. There's so many new ways you can hide things in the world. So many new ways to use your copy abilities to activate puzzles in the world. It evokes, and I said this a little bit with the, uh, the, the demo, when we talked about the demo here, they figured out a way to evoke the classic feel of a 2D Kirby platformer in 3D without missing a single beat. Moment by moment, this feels like a Kirby game. And no point are you like, this doesn't feel right for Kirby. They've managed to translate Kirby in 3D in a way that I never thought they ever could. And judging by interviews that came out this week, it seems like this is a tough nut for them to crack. They've been trying for generations to figure out how to do a Kirby game in 3D. And I'm happy to say that they nailed it. It feels great to control. Kirby moves around like a dream. Co-op works great. I think the, the backup wobble D with the sphere is very intuitive for new players. Sure, you don't have the variety that you do with the copy abilities with Kirby, but you don't really need it. You have a trusty move that you know your move set for, and Baldi can mostly do everything that Kirby can. So it's never you're never in a situation where you feel like you're missing out, really, on the Kirby experience, except for the mouthful mode stuff, which only Kirby can do. But usually that set piece design mm -hmm. is very purposeful. It's very like, this section you have to be the car, or this section you have to be the vending machine. It's very much built that way. The levels are built around it, so you don't really feel like you're missing out on something larger. Um, yeah, so in the first world already, I feel like it's got a very good variety of design, level design. It's got a very good uh, variety of um, copy abilities. And the cool, the cool thing that, uh, where it lets you level up and evolve those abilities at the Waddle Dee Town, make them stronger, is completely new for the series. I think really makes you, again, want to go back and replay levels that you, have, that you played already. 
the idea of being able to go back with a stronger cut ability, which is really cool. Uh, it be, makes the the cutter into little well, little, little what are they called? Chakrams, little circle yeah, blade things. Chakram. It makes it into a chakram where you've tossed Kirby tosses two at a Dude. time. It's so cool. And then like the fire ability evolves into a volcano ability that's a little got more range to it and more like and makes more fire effects happen. So it makes you want to go back and play stuff you already did, like play a boss you've already beaten, and be like, yeah, look how much damage I'm doing to him now. <laughs> it's fun. They created another gameplay element to make you want to replay things and get better at finding the secrets. And, and I mentioned this off-podcast. It incentivized you to get those secrets, come back to those secrets, by slowly revealing them to you. If you missed a secret and you finished a level... It will reveal one of the sentences, giving you a hint, one of the hints for one of the secrets. So that way, the example I gave you was, there was a poster that I passed in a level that I didn't think much of. It was like an X or a Kirby. It was like no Kirby's kind of poster. And I didn't realize that at the, that was a secret. At the end of the level, the, re- the hint that, I was re- that was revealed to me said, remove wanted poster. And I'm like, oh, cool. Now I know when I replay that level, I can go back remember where that poster was get that poster and get that secret and that helps you unlock more stuff for the rest of the, the game last thing i'll say about it is is another cool new thing that they're doing kirby is known the series is known for mini games and challenges the challenges in this one are kind of like tri- time trials based on your ability to use the copy abilities so they're like little think of kind of like the um special puzzle levels in a ratchet and clank game mm-hmm. Like the ratchet ones in, or yeah, the ratchet, no, the clank, the clank ones version. in the uh, in um, the most recent one. Yeah, ripped apart. Where it takes you kind of to like a different kind of like puzzle world, and you're just doing a puzzle for mm-hmm. a bit. That could be really addictive to people who are really like yes. time travel oriented or time trial oriented. Tra- like you time are, travel oriented. <laughs> like every single one I did, I was like a second away from the like the time, like the, the end time. One. And I'm like, oh, I could go back and do this right away and try to try to get the best time possible. Yeah. So yeah, every step of the way, this is taking what Kirby games do best and refining it to perfection. And I think there's a whole people are gonna really really like this game. Now you. Now, to be fair, you are a Kirby super fan. I love Kirby, yeah. And this game is good for you, and it's built for you. Mm-hmm. I'll be uh, playing it as a <laughs> Kirby newbie. Wow, just like Metroid. Just like Metroid. Coming into Kirby for the first time. Yes, and we'll see how I feel about it next week. Uh, but last thing I wanted to ask, um, yeah. you had mentioned the 3D portion of it. Yes. Is it like Mario 3D Land, where it's very... You're only going in one direction, but it's 3D based, or is it not as open world as you said? So yeah, that's the thing, is when they first started showing off trailers for this game, a lot of people were immediately like, open world Kirby game? So no, it is very important to note this is not an open world game pretty much at all. You're correct to compare it to 3D Land. It is definitely a 3D world, or 3D Land or world, is definitely that level design wise, and not Odyssey. It is not Mario Odyssey, and is not open world beyond that. It is very much 3D world kind of design ethos, where there's a pretty linear path, except for occasionally there'll be something over to the left to check out real quick before you go back to the main path to the right, for example. It's very much a linear design. There are exceptions to this, though. In the first world, there is a mall level that has multiple pathways, and there are maps 
throughout the level that are kind of giving you hints about, never explicitly telling you where to go, but giving you hints about where the correct path lies. Other Kirby's, Kirby games in 2D have done this as well. But it ultimately is up to you to what path you go down. So you could, if you wanted to, explore in a different, a different uh, path than the game actually wants you to do. So there are exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, this is like 3D world in design, in design uh, idea. Okay. Like it's very much not an open world game. It is more directed, but that's for the benefit of it because it makes it feel like that classic 3D platformer that, or classic Kirby platformer that it's trying to evoke. So, all right, cool. Well, that's not the only game you played. Yeah, no, but it's I'm gonna play more of it. I have way more to talk about Kirby, I'm sure, as I go on. Yeah, um, we'll have more to talk about it next week when I get my hands on it. Yeah. Uh, but there's a game that did come out. Yeah. That I assumed it come out a while ago. No, it didn't. Uh, it was demoed for years and years. Uh, but Tunic uh, is finally out. This is the Zelda-like, where you play as a fox. Um, and it is very much a Zelda-like. Uh, I'm not going to surprise anybody by saying that. But what I will surprise people by saying is, but by way of the Souls games? It's a Souls version of All right. uh, Zelda? So let me explain what I mean by that. So as the Zelda games have evolved, they've become less esoteric and become more handled. When you start a modern Zelda game, except for Breath of the Wild, which is the exception here, the expectation is I'm going to have an hour or so of this game that's going to tell me how to play it, tell me how every, every mechanic works. Here's the story. Right. This is the setup. This is what these items do. This is basically how this game is going to go. And then it lets you go. Which is, to a lot of Zelda fans, disappointing because the thing that made that original NES Legend of Zelda so interesting at the time was it basically tossed you into a world and was like, you figure it out. You figure out, you go into that cave, grab that sword. We're not going to tell you where to go. You have, you, have to, you have to figure out where you can go with the amount of tools that you have right now. Unless the Souls developers were bored. Exactly. That kind of design, um, uh, that design length, the way of thinking about game design kind of went away as we got more modern designers thinking more about helping a player out, more accessibility, mm -hmm. making games easier for new players. Uh, well, Tunic is basically trying to evoke that feeling of that original Legend of Zelda through the modern lens of something like a Souls game, where it is using the world to describe to you where you need to go, using the context of everything to direct you as opposed to literal direction. One thing that Tunic literally does is instead of giving you a tutorial, it doles out a tutorial over the course of the game in the form of game manual pages, essentially. <laughs> like pages you're physically collecting in the game world that look like a NES instruction book that you used to get in the game boxes. Or more recently, like N64 instruction books. Mm -hmm. So except... Even taking that further by having a lot of the text being written in a language that you can't understand, an in-game language. <laughs> so, so much of it is you trying to use clues that you're given, hints that you're given in the game, like including these, these manual pages, and trying to discern meaning from it. Trying to be like, this language over this picture of, tunic of the character doing something, I don't know what that means, but I get the idea of what it means. Is this telling me how to dodge? Is this telling me what this button does? You have to interpret every step of the way what the game is trying to tell you. And it does this in the gameplay as well. 
one key thing here is that, like the example that I'll use in the really opening uh, hour of this game, which is all I really played, is you don't get a sword. You don't get a sword from the start of the game. You get a stick that is kind of like a weaker sword. It cannot cut down trees. Trees in this game are kind of like abstract cube-looking things. And so from this jump, I wasn't even sure that they were trees at all. And I didn't know. All I knew is that I could not interact with them. They barred my pathway. So I could see on the other side of the trees that there's places I could go on the other side, but I couldn't cut down the trees, and I couldn't pick them up, so I couldn't do anything with that. So my game brain says, eventually I will get an item that gives me something to do with trees. That's the language that this game is using, is it gives you enough context about what you need to do to progress, but never tells you you need to get this item to cut these trees. Yeah, my game brain would have said, yeah. there's a path somewhere around here that will yeah. get you there. So that's funny that you say that, because that game knows that there are people like you that are thinking that way, but like a Souls game, they don't reward. They sometimes reward that, but sometimes they punish that. Uh, there are pathways you could find by accident that are completely secret pathways through bushes or through a wall or something that could lead to literally ten spiders that you cannot like you cannot defeat because you are not strong enough, which immediately sends you reeling and go back to where you were. Mm -hmm. There are so many moments like that in Tunic where you stumble upon something you can't do yet, just like Elden Ring, just like Bloodborne. It's the game telling you, yeah, you're right. This is a pathway. You are eventually going to find out what's here. But what you're really going to do is you're going to find out later you're going to come back here and not even realize that you're coming back to a place you've already seen once you're strong enough and you will not have a problem with this. Mm. It's just that right now you're seeing it too early. And I think that what this game is going to do, I think Tunic is going to be very divisive. Because I think you're going to have people like me that were like, ooh, cool, a, Zel a cute Zelda-like, and try to play it like a Zelda game, and immediately jump up, bounce off of it for the same reasons they bounce off Souls, which is everywhere I go, I'm having too much of a, like, too much of a challenge here. I, can't, I don't know where to go. I'm getting lost very easily. And there's nothing. I'm not really finding that like reward for the amount of work I'm putting into it. Or you're going to have the Souls people, the people who want that kind of challenge, they want their games to be esoteric in that way and are going to fall in love with this thing. I think there is a certain game player who this is going to be an easy game in review. It's so mysterious. Fez comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, where it's a game world that wants you to figure out its language, literally. Mm -hmm. Just like Fez, there is a language that is to be interpreted here. Mm -hmm. And eventually, maybe, I don't even know if this is the case, can be translated. This is a game where a fan base is going to really work hard to figure out all the secrets, and it's going to be a conversation that evolves as people play it. And that's going to be great for some people, and like way too arcane for some people. Turns out I'm probably in the other camp. And oh no, so, you've aged out. <laughs> not necessarily aged out, because it's just my gameplay style, as we talked about last week with the Elden Ring versus Horizon conversation, it's just when I sit down to play a game, sure, challenge is fine, but I also don't want to feel like the game is antagonistic towards me. And that's what this and Elden Ring feel like a little bit, where I'm like, I'd rather something like Kirby, I'd rather like something like Horizon, which is gentle enough that I can keep going, but has that option for challenge. Mm -hmm. That's my ideal situation. I don't want the challenge to be from the get-go. I don't want something that yells at me, 
hey, you need to figure me out. Like a Rubik's Cube, almost. Like, you need to spend so much time with me to figure, to master me, or else I'm not going to be fun. That's not my kind of experience. But, like I said, for the people this works for, I think Tunic is incredibly exciting. I think it's incredibly interesting. It's got a mystery to it that I think is lacking in a lot of games. And I think a lot of people are going to fall in love with Tunic because of that. So, uh, yeah, that's my take. I mean, I'm probably not going to play more of it, but I think that for the people this clicks with, it's going to click really, really, really well. And where can people play this? So this is available on everything um, except for Switch right now. It is, however, on Game Pass on Xbox and PC. So if you want, if you have that, that's the place to play it. But you can also spend money to play it on your PlayStation. Okay. So that's Tunic. And then you briefly brought it up. Yeah. Elden Ring. You got your hands on it. Yeah, I should just mention I played like an hour of Elden Ring. And yeah, it's not for me. Yeah. For the same reasons why I said about Tunic. Everywhere I went, like the thing that you preached and the thing that's upgraded and preached to everybody about this game is... Well, the nice thing about Elden Ring is if it's too hard, you can go somewhere else. That works to an extent. Until you realize literally everywhere you go is too much for you when you start the game. And that's the vibe I got. It's like literally everywhere I was going, there was an uh, enemy that I, that, I couldn't let, that I couldn't consistently beat. Went into a cave. Got ambushed by like seven wolves all at once. Mm-hmm. Tried second time. Oh, I need to take out the, take out the wolves one by one. The problem with that is the boss wolf was too tough for me. So I would take out all its minions and then the boss wolf would kill me. Yeah. Or I would wander over to the beach because maybe like, oh, maybe there's something over this beach. Oh, what's this egg thing? Maybe I'll beat up on this. Dragon shows up because apparently that's its child. Dragon immediately <laughs> destroys me. <laughs> or like, oh, here's like a little cliff face with these like three little winged things. I fought some of these winged guys, these bat dudes over here and I didn't have a ch- problem with them. Well, that was because I could take them one-on-one. Now there's three of them all trying to attack me at once. I immediately die. And I'm like, is there anywhere that I can go in this game where I will not immediately die? Oh, you can go to the castle, but then it's all guarded by the castle. Yeah, that's the thing is I knew, I knew going in, the thing you're not supposed to go do immediately when you start is fight the, the guy on horseback that's right in front of you. Right. I knew that, so I avoided him. But everything else is just as hard. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Also, I hate how the game controls there seems to be even with game mode on and with everything like and i don't usually have a problem with input lag when i play video games on this ps5 never been a problem with horizon mm-hmm. whatever i felt like i was playing in the water in elden ring every time i roll it felt like it was a, like two seconds too late i had the same problem and then to make matters worse when you do something else and it will remember the button presses so it'll roll because I maybe pressed circle and didn't cancel out of that in time, and so it'll make me roll when I didn't mean to, right into an attack. Mm -hmm. I understand that the game wants me to learn its nuances, and I understand that the game is like telling me, yes, figure this out, because this is the only way you're going to get through this game, is by figuring this out. But for me, who just finished an eight-hour workday, and just wants to relax, it was the last thing I wanted to do, was to really bunk, like hunker down and really try to figure out the combat in Elden Ring. So I just I was just like I don't need to do this. Yep. Again, just like Tunic, I get why people are falling in love with Elden Ring. I get the appeal, I get the mis- mysteries appealing, I get the idea of trying to get better and feeling yourself getting better is great. 
I just do not have the, I guess I just don't have the patience for that, or I just don't, I don't feel like the other end of that is rewarding enough for me to want to stick to it. So, it's not for me. You don't want to spend six hours grinding a boss. When, instead. And then then realize, oh wait, there's a second form. Right. When instead, I could play Kirby or Horizon, play six hours of that, and see so much variety. Yes. And see so many different things. And yeah, sure, I'm not being challenged as much. Sure, maybe the carrot on that stick, when I finally get that carrot, maybe it doesn't taste as good. But... I'd rather get that... I'm just somebody who would rather but get I'd that continuous drip. I'd rather know where my next carrot right. is coming from than eventually it may be a carrot. I'd rather get my cheap Skinner box, you know, to keep mm-hmm. getting that, like, that pang of, like, of joy in my brain than do fucking marathon and then get a medal at the end. Mm-hmm. That's just personally what I want from a video game. And everybody's, you know, going to want different things. But I just, yeah, I, that's just my personal opinion. So as long as there are games for me, just as many as much as there's games for those players, I think we're good. Yes. I just want to end this gatekeepy argument about one being of like ostensibly better than the other. And we talked the subject to death this point, yes. so I'll stop there. But but yeah, that's ultimately how I feel after this week. I really like Kirby. I really am having still a lot of fun with Horizon. But Tunic and Elden Ring are just challenges that are too they're the mountains that are too high for. It's okay. We don't have to talk about Elden Ring until it comes to end of the year <laughs> stuff. Which, by that point, a better game of the year will have come out by then. Unless it gets delayed. <laughs> Unless it gets delayed. <laughs> Alright, mark, mark that. We'll see. Alright, anyway. Unless it gets delayed. Let's move on. Yeah, let's uh, move on and we go to sports. Yes. Point two. The Sports Corner. Yeah, it's television time. We start, as always, with the Sports Corner, which is behind us right here. And, of course, bracket time. And I know your bracket got busted. I know that for a fact because the favorites have all lost. Everyone's bracket got busted by now. Yes, Arizona, Baylor, and Gonzaga all lost, which means that if you had any of those to take it all, you are severely disappointed. Uh, number one, Kansas is the last remaining number one seed. Yes. That being said, Villanova and Duke are your last remaining number two seeds. And you know what? I'm Everyone okay. else is below that. I'm okay with that. I mean, Duke were the, the team that beat our hometown heroes. So I'm okay to see them going all the way. Well, Duke is also um, home of the last run of Coach Krzyzewski, mm-hmm. Coach right. K. So it's got the so story. They've got, got the story. They got the story. Yeah. They're the... I, mean, I hate to say that they're, they're the, the favorites, favorites now, but they yeah, they're the favorites they now. Even yeah. though they're number two seed, they're the favorites now, especially with the story of Coach K's final run. Speaking of that, Coach K, um, his last win was his 100th mm. tournament win. Nice. Considering that, it takes you four games to reach the final, the fifth one being the final. Yes. And he's won 100 games. Nice. So this, of course, leads to tomorrow is your Elite Eight, and then the Final Four will start uh, on Saturday I think second. today and tomorrow today is and your tomorrow. Elite Eight. Got it. With the Final Four being the following week. So there you go. So college basketball heating up. We will have a winner in two weeks. Yep. We have uh, Villanova versus Houston. Duke versus Arkansas. Kansas <laughs> versus Miami. Your Kansas. Of Florida. <laughs> yes. And North Carolina versus Kentucky. 
Cinderella Story, St. Peter's, yes. number 15 seed. Right, yeah. So, keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, baseball this week went crazy with rules. Yeah, it did. It's all over the place just decided, hey, you thought we were done with talking about rule changes? Well, no, we're not. Let's solidify some things going into the 2022 season. Mm -hmm. um, most notably for Angels fans, one of the said new rules that has been initiated is now called the Otani rule. And it basically means that now in the universal designated hitter era, a player who starts as a pitcher will no longer have to be removed from the game and is now going to be allowed to hit in said game, no matter what. So that's good news for Otani, because in previous situations, uh, the, the coach had to put him in, in the outfield in order to qualify as a hitter. Otani, not an outfield player. He's that's not a position he's, player at all. That's why you stick him in right field. For no one hits <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one hits. So, yeah, so this is heartening for Angels fans because this means Otani will be in more games and can potentially do more damage in more games. Hey, it means more home runs for Otani. Like, absolutely. So it's very exciting news. Other uh, Elsewhere in the league, it was, con it was confirmed that the ghost runner rule introduced into pandemic seasons, which hurt. is overtime starting a man on second, mm -hmm. Will still happen this season, not beyond this season. They said it's done 2023, but it will continue being the case this season. I did see something being floated around. I think it was on a message board that yeah. they should institute the Ghost Runner once you get to inning eleven. I liked that too, yeah. and I like, it gives you the one extra inning of like, come on, guys, like can you finish play? this? Yeah. yeah. If you can't finish it, then clearly we need to help push the game along because otherwise, yeah, you'll, that's how you're going to get. 19 inning games, 22 inning games. But ultimately, somebody at the league probably said, like, you know what, whatever, and just ended up just keeping the rule as is. I think people, they said that we'll give it one more year. Maybe it'll yeah. change people's minds. Maybe people will like it now, yes. kind of thing. Because yeah, no one hates change. No one yeah, hates no one loves, loves no change. one likes change. That being said, the league really wants change because they're trying to get more eyes on baseball. Yeah, right they're trying to make it more exciting. Yeah. They're trying to make it not being four-hour games, which is why yes. that Ghost Runner was initiated. And it's also why a lot of their rule changes and what they're looking at right now all has to do with hitting. Because pitching lately has been really good, and they're trying to prevent pitchers from being too good. Yes. And one of the things is the continued crackdown on sticky stuff being yep. used by pitchers. Yep. Um, the memo went out saying that if a umpire goes to check a pitcher, mm -hmm. and the pitcher appears at any point to wipe something off, yeah. they will be immediately ejected. Right. This is kind of interesting because uh, I feel like a lot of pitchers do this just by habit. A lot of pitchers do this for moisture, for sweat, or just like, for like not spit. <laughs> That's been banned. But you know what I mean? Like, like I feel like there's probably going to be a lot of situations where you have a visit because of something they thought that they saw or thought that they did, and it's going to have the pitcher, what was it last year, literally taking the pants off yes. to like prove that they don't have anything? That was great. That was a great moment. <laughs> I forget what team was that was that had their pitcher like literally just like take their pants off to prove that they were not, they didn't have any substance. Uh, I forget what it was. Yeah, I forget that was, but it was great. So yeah, just get ready to see more of that kind of ridiculous stuff. But it's all for in the favor of hitters being more fairly treated, and like yep. we'll see. I don't know if that's going to ma matter as much as the league seems to think it does. <laughs> so we'll see. We will see. 
Um, Anything else in sports this week? Um, not this week, but sports entertainment has a big showing yes. next weekend. Oh, you, speaking of sports entertainment, do you want to talk about Triple H? Oh, uh, he retired officially. Yeah, officially last night. Yeah, official. Oh, that was last night. That I was didn't... yesterday. Oh, I didn't watch last night. That was yesterday, so... apparently. Oh no, I obviously didn't watch either, but I saw it on Twitter. People were talking about Triple H. No, I didn't uh, see that. Triple H announces in-ring yeah, retirement. There you go. Okay. There you go. So, yes. The big, I'm surprised you weren't up on this. Well, no, because... As I, our wrestling correspondent. Well, I saw that uh, Undertaker was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame um, during yeah. WrestleMania. Well, there you go. But, yeah. Triple H officially retiring from in-ring. He'll still be the head of yes. WWE. He'll be in the business. He'll be in the business. But he is basically saying he will no longer be in-ring competing. Which makes sense. I mean, he's pretty old. Uh, yeah, it, it makes it, this was his time, so but yeah, he'll still be creatively involved. Yep, so there you go. Anything else in sports that we need to mention before we move on to television news? Um, next weekend is yes. tonight WrestleMania, so right. we'll talk about that next, week. next weekend. In the meantime, let's roll right into television news. We start with uh, a little bit of follow up to our story about Amazon's uh, uh purchase of MGM finally. Um, being finalized, and one of MGM's biggest franchises, James Bond. Amazon's Prime Video has greenlit its first TV show based on the acquired franchise with 007's Road to a Million, a Bond-style spin on a race around the world. The show will see real contestants, this is a reality show, competing in a global adventure to win a million pounds, worth $1.3 million, cash prize. Filmed in many of the historic locations featured throughout the seminal Bond films, the cinematic format, quote-unquote, will be a test of intelligence and endurance. In addition to passing physical obstacles, the contestants, who will compete in two-person teams, must correctly answer questions hidden in different locations around the world in order to advance to the next challenge. Production on 007's Road to a Million will begin later this year, and casting is underway with applicants being invited to send in video submissions. So, Amazing Race, race. Meets Top Gear? Yeah, that's what yeah, it is. It's Amazing pitch. Race Meets Top Gear. This is fascinating. This is a fascinating concept. Yeah. I mean, we saw what uh, the this cinematic experience, um, mm-hmm. the cinematic format looks like uh, with um, Making the Cut, okay. uh, the um, Heidi Klum yeah. uh, runway show. Right, where right, they right. did that Bear, around yeah. the world. Right. I think that's called Making the Cut. Yeah, that sounds like it. So it makes sense. Uh, this is a good move and a good use of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Because if, if, as we previously said on this podcast, if the Broccoli estate doesn't want them to do a TV show, this is a neat way to like bypass that. It's like, yes, we're doing a TV show, but it's not Bond the character. Yes, we're doing Bond-related <laughs> making new films. stories in the world. We are using the movies. Yes, as our basis. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll be showing clips of right. James Bond films throughout the show to see like, this people, is what yeah. Yeah, my people are what they love what they love yeah like this is like james bond zip lining down a mountain <laughs> or whatever as he's fighting or remember when he drove his aston martin down this road you're gonna do that yes yeah exactly <laughs> or so. like yeah we've set up a test course here you must complete this course right. in like five minutes and hey, you remember when halle berry emerged from the beach right here you're going to that beach yes halle berry will not be there Yes, but you will be at that beach, and you must find a coin under a rock somewhere. <laughs> Anyways. 
anyway, something to that akin. And that is exciting. It's cool. It's cool. I mean, as we've noted on here, The Amazing Race has won Best Variety Reality Show year after year after year after year. Yeah. So take that concept, make it British, make it super British with 007, and put it on Amazon Prime where the top tier guys went. And you might have a hit on your hands here. Makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But this show isn't the only one making a little road trip. Oh, no, it's not. The Price is Right, television's longest-running game show, is also hitting the road and going all around the U.S. on its come-on-down tour. Anyway, making 50 stops coast-to-coast to give fans the opportunity to play games and win prizes. The showcase is part of CBS's plans to celebrate the game's 50th season. Mike Benson, president and chief marketing officer at CBS, says the Come On Down Tour supports the mission of bringing fans closer to the show while supporting local business partners in cities across the country. The tour will kick off this Friday in Los Angeles at the Santa Monica Pier and will make stops in Denver, Dallas, New York, New Orleans, and many other cities. The show's host, Drew Carey, told the Associated Press, that one reason The Price is Right has lasted for 50 years is that it's innovative with new prizes and games, but always keeps the same focus. Yep. Focus being on the contestants, the right. focus being on Plinko. Yes. You can have always your own Plinko. Plinko. I want to see how New Orleans plays Plinko. I, I think they call it Plinko there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you dip it in gumbo. Um, yeah, that's... Great news. I think any way to spice up the prices right sounds cool to me. Uh, I mean, I mean, other, uh, this is, I think this is Sony based. No, it's a CBS thing. But yeah. Sony shows have done that where Jeopardy's gone on the right. road, where Wheel of Fortune has gone does this yeah. lot on the road. So it's the exact same thing. Just yeah. prices right on the road. Same game, different set. Yep. Um, <laughs> they, they package it up. I mean, yep. you have to drive all those cars all, all those the way truck. around yeah. everywhere. <laughs> all those washing machines, all those boats. Just being towed everywhere. Yeah, all the Plinko machines. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Uh, look forward to that if you're sick from school this week. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> let's move on. Well, no, no. See, they're, being, they're going around touring and on film. Yeah. Right now, which means they'll be airing so later. probably in the summer. Yeah, you're probably They're right. always shooting about three months in advance. Yeah. Let's move on. Speaking of things that, well, they're not shot in advance, actually, so never mind. Uh, <laughs> we have some thoughts about a few shows. Some well, live some documentary style, and some prestige. Uh, so, as we talked about with Price is Right going across country, yes. across tour, um, there's another show that came out that was yeah. about the country, about going around and basically bringing everyone who's on tour to one spot. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit when it got announced, but we finally, here in the U.S., have our own Eurovision, Eurovision. and it's called the American Song Contest. Brought to you by NBC. Yeah, currently also brought to you by Jeff Records, owned by Snoop Dogg. Yes, I saw that too. I was like, that's so stupid. I started laughing out loud and Chrissy had already gone to bed. Chrissy had already gone to bed and she was like, what's so funny? I'm like, it just, it's just funny. Oh, I saw that too. I thought you'd be asleep by then, but. No, I I was awake. Uh, But yeah, American Song Contest uh, debuted last week. We watched the uh, first episode and yeah, it's more or less what I expected. Yep. In a similar fashion to Eurovision, it has brought people from all over the country, one person to represent each state. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that includes some famous established artists as well as up-and-coming ones. Uh, so we got to see 
a handful of states start with their performances. Mm -hmm. And in an American Idol style, you were able to vote live on those performances as they happened. But in order to keep biases from being the thing that is the main driver, they have now they've instituted a, a judge favorite that is determined every uh, episode as well. They will have a panel of judges who seem to be music industry people mm -hmm. determine at the, by the end of the episode who they believe was the strongest act in the episode and will be a lock to move on to the next round. Oh, the, the judgment is not based on what is performed, it's based off the dress rehearsal. Right, so even that is a little yes. skewed. But still, I like that because it keeps it from being just a popularity contest, mm -hmm. because otherwise California yeah, would a little, <laughs> uh, Or New York or Texas right, would exactly. be the same Pop size. Population just has favorites right. there. Yeah, it was a um, like little thing at the end that said, because like, the um, judges' favorites based off the... Yeah. The pre-rehearsals and not the actual performance that they give during the live so taping. The show. So yeah, um, so more or less it's what I expected. What I didn't expect though is that what they've done, they've mixed it, mixed the performances well enough so you do get a pretty broad range of genre. That's one thing that they did really well is that every song, every performance was pretty different from the previous one. You had a rap act followed by a country act followed by a pop act, etc. Like, it was never, like, back-to-back -back anything. And there was rap country. There was K-pop. Yeah. The rap country one was kind of fun. Oh, <laughs> boy. Yeah, Christy liked it, too. I did not. Um, oh, I thought it was, like, perfectly, it was like... stupid. It was perfectly stupid. The it's, way country yeah. artists um, tend to be. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. it's like, it's talking about his boots. It's being on boots. I'm already, like, still, like, okay, now I actually see what this is. It's, like, I get it. And, like, I'll continue watching it just out of curiosity. But it's not, if, if there's something about it, there's a vibe to it. I mean, yeah, and Kelly Clarkson and Snoop Dogg as hosts, they do a good enough job. Yeah. They're silly. They're, they've got, like, they're, that's the attitude. I think want. I know what it is. It's, it's just it's weird. That it, it didn't get you to vote. No, and I that's didn't the, care enough. Yeah, like, you didn't care enough to vote. If I was to vote, I probably would have voted as the K-pop girl. But like, I would have voted for the first act, because that was the only one that actually got me, like, interested. Oh, in really? It. We hated that band. I thought it was a good opening. We did and then not like went, it at all. It just sounded very generic to me. Yeah, it like, sounded generic pop. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that is it's not unique enough. <laughs> and like I was just like did nothing for me. Uh, so yeah. It's called like Yam something. Yeah, Yam House. Yam House. Stupid. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. It, as it continues, we'll get to see more states and uh see what they have to offer. And yeah, I guess we'll keep an eye on it, but eh, not 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 as exciting as I was hoping it would be. Something's off about it. I don't know what it is. The contestants aren't mingling with each other. Maybe that. There's no... Because with American Idol, you get a little bit of behind the scenes. Like, yeah. oh, so-and-so talked to this person. And, oh, you see this kind of vibe. Well, it's a lot of, like... They're kind like, of cordoned like, off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, here's this video package. Here's them performing. Here's this video package. Here's yeah. them performing. There's no intermingling with the host and the band. There's no personality to it, mm -hmm. is, I think, a lot of it. As much as Kelly Clarkson wants you to... Wants you to believe there is. There's no Brian Dunkelman. I know, that's what it's really missing here. Yep. No Bobby Bones. Nope. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, American Talk Contest, it will continue going, and I guess we'll have more to say on it later. Yep. But there is some that's stuff on nature. streaming that you can watch. Yeah, so uh, why don't you talk about the thing you watched before we talk about the, uh, the thing we both watched. Uh, so prepare your teeth, prepare your crumpets. 
I will. Prepare your diamonds as oh. Bridgerton season two is upon us. Oh and it is tis the season to be betrothed again. Oh good. I've all I've been waiting to be betrothed. Yes. So following <laughs> Bridgerton season one. Um unfortunately there is no Reggae Jean Paul. No. Um to be swooned over, but instead it is about the Viscount this season, as he is being um pushed by his mother to find a Viscountess. Oh ho. And there's something that I realized while watching season two of Bridgerton. Uh-huh. They play the pronoun game a lot. <laughs> Not only that, they play the I'm talking about something, but not what you're thinking about right. a lot. Mm-hmm. Especially when you cut from, uh, oh, we're trying to keep this a secret. And then you cut to um, one of the characters talking with their mother. Like, mm-hmm. oh, did you tell your sister yet? Like, about what? <laughs> about this other thing that I'm just telling you, you and the yeah. audience for the first time. To help expand the plot and <laughs> add more drama. What? Uh, what? There's this other layer here? <laughs> and they do that constantly within like the first three episodes. Yes, yeah. and I need to add it for all the drama. Yes, I need to add it to all the blends, all the layers of complexity, but to do it every single time someone brings it up, repetitive. it is super repetitive. And I think it goes back to that Netflix problem. The biggest problem with Netflix is that everything has to be so serialized. Yes. So it creates scripts that have to go overboard with connections and keeping balls rolling because otherwise like the audience will lose yes. interest. But you need but the thing it does good is that because it's from Shonda Rhimes or Shondaland, it keeps that constant drama drip coming yeah. of, oh, we're gonna end on this big drama reveal and like make you wanna watch the next episode. Yeah. And it's like, oh, will they, won't they? Mm-hmm. Which they did five separate times with the same two characters and I'm like God damn it, just do it already. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, someone like, comes barging in. Someone calls off from the distance. Someone, like, uh, like a tree breaks or something. It's like, oh, like, like a bee comes out. It's like, oh, I, out of nowhere. And it's all these, like, co- very contrived, purposely written plot stuff to make sure they don't, even though you kind of know they will. Yeah. When obviously they won't or they shouldn't. <laughs> that was a sentence. <laughs> yes, it was. And yet that personally describes Bridgerton. Wow. Yeah. So especially the second season. How's it faring for the second for compared to the big first? Is there a little bit of drop off? Uh, the sexual tension isn't not as much there because You lost your hunky lead. You lost your hunky lead. <laughs> You're dealing with boring white boy now. Right. Not as fun. Not as fun. Um, that being said, it still it takes that like contemporary juicy gossip that people love from Shonda Rhimes right. and puts it in that um, that Victorian age setting. It's still the thing it's you still want the it thing to you be. Want it to be. It's just maybe not as good as it was the first time around, but that's to be expected with season two of anything. Yeah. Plus, this season two is, uh, I believe, speaking more to the books itself, okay. which is about, maybe supposed to be about the Viscount and right. the Bridgerton family, okay. and trying to be the diamond of the season. So yeah, if that sounds good to you, if you want more period pieces in your life, well, here's the most periodist of all pieces. Yes. 
but it also has the very contemporary juicy drama that you love to see in contemporary dramas. Yeah. You know what I love to see? Um, some sour warheads. Uh, no, uh, you could try it. Something. <laughs> I was gonna say I love to see behind the scenes concert films. I love to see alternative takes of yes. songs that we already know. So true. And all of that is true of the other thing we watched this week, which is Olivia Rodrigo, colon, Driving Home to You. A sour film, I believe, is the full name of this yes. thing. So, <laughs> this is exactly what you think it is. This is Olivia Rodrigo making a, a, uh, an interpretation, I guess you could say, of her album Sour for Disney+, Plus in the same kind of vibe as what Taylor did with the Long Pond Sessions for Folklore, and what... Um, Billie Eilish did with um, Everything is Blurry, maybe? I forget what it is. So what it is, is this kind of like, uh, is both a behind-the-scenes look at the production of Sour. You get to see a lot of the songwriting sessions and a lot of the recording sessions for what ended up on that record. And you also get, as you said, new takes on the songs from Sour in a new kind of style. And that's done in a road trip format Mm -hmm. as... Olivia and her team make their way from Salt Lake City, Utah to Los Angeles, California. So unlike where you can watch these songs in a conven- conventional music video format mm-hmm. where everything is kind of dis- disjointed and like has different themes about it, what uh, Driving Home to You does is it takes Olivia Rodrigo and puts her in front of a band. The mm-hmm. band travels with her. It's kind yes. of like a road show. It is, and, and it's cool. And, uh, the coolest part about it, as you said, is these are songs that you know pretty well at this point if you listen to Sour as much as we have, but she'll interpret them in different ways. Like some of them have an acoustic take to them. Some of them are instrumented like differently than they were. Some of the, one of them even has her kind of doing a one-person band approach. Yeah, the one-man band where approach. She's looping uh, instruments herself, and every step of the way, it's really interesting how she's re- reimagined these songs. Mm-hmm. I am shocked that this didn't also have a streaming release of these different takes, mm-hmm. or even an extended version of Sour. I'm surprised that this is just an isolated thing and didn't come with an accompanied album. I believe Long Pond Sessions did the following did. week. That's the thing. So I'm wondering if they're doing so what something if they're similar the following week, yeah. So yeah, I think it's a really cool portrait of Olivia's experience through the making of and the aftermath of Sour. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really cool like encapsulation of her early, like early fame, going into her dominating run with this record, um, and yeah, it's just it's such a cool thing. I love any be- opportunity to see behind the scenes stuff, and this gives you that. And it also just makes it, like makes you realize how wise beyond her years Olivia Rodrigo is. Just some of the stuff that she talks about with her experience of relationships. Like I was sitting there, like man, she's learned a lot in a year. Well, you know, being the <laughs> child star, right. I just hope that it's not too much for her. Is that the worry, of course, by the end of this is that I just hope the second album doesn't burn her. It's out. the what next yeah, part. Because man, she is in a really good spot right now. She seems like she still has a really great head on her on her shoulders. She has really good ideas about where she wants to be, what she wants to sound like. She seems like she has a really firm grasp on that. I'm just hoping that the industry does not screw her over because she's really doing well. Uh, there's two segments that I really liked on here. The yeah. first one being the orchestrated version of Good For You. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That was a really good, different interpretation, good, different take on it. The second one was the 
many performances strewn together of driver's license. Yes, which, yes. if you ever wanted a microcosm of what it means to put out a hit song yeah. and to travel and tour just on that one song, That's, yeah. that segment right job. there did a really good job of showing that, yeah, having, like making a hit song and putting on radio is great. But then you get to sing that same song over and over mm-hmm. and over and over and over and over and over again. That's a great microcosm of yeah. showing that she is like it's the same song, put in to like the same order, just the different performance of her performing right. across country at different venues, at different award shows, at different uh, late night shows, different times of her singing it, and it's not. That one song, Driver's License, which we've all heard by now, mm-hmm. is not her ever showing, like, in front of a microphone singing, um, like all the other ones are in front of a band singing. It's her on tour or performing for someone else somewhere, for right. a different audience. It's cool. It's a cool way of doing that. And I, I'll say it, like, I'll say it, I think that we're right now, we're living in a golden era for the music document documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. There are so many of them now, and they're all so good. And they're all from different perspectives, and they're all like fascinating artifacts of what it is to be a artist now. We just talked about Kanye West. We talked about the Long Pond Sessions with Taylor Swift. We talked about Miss Americano with Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. We talked about Billie Eilish. Her both are both her special and also her documentary. Mm-hmm. We, there's so yeah much, the Apple documentary right. There's so much happening right now um, that gives you a peek behind that curtain that I think is crucial, and it's all very good. And so, yeah, uh, this is just another one to add to the pile. And it's not just new acts, too. Bruce, Spring, Bruce Springsteen right. last year released a, a right. movie about his re- most recent album as well. Yeah. It's good. Just a good time to be a music fan. Just so much to enjoy and so many cool visual interpretations of the music that you like. And it's great. It's great news. So one question about, I want to pose to you about this um, Driving okay. Home to You. How much of it felt like privileged white girl going around... <laughs> Doing all this stuff. I don't think that this happens in the way that it did if we weren't in a pandemic. Okay. I think that's changed a lot of it because this this seemed more likely that they would show up to a place and it would be empty than it would be in any other time. Exactly. I think that it's a time and place thing. You're not wrong. Olivia does have sway because of who she is. But also, I think it's just a perfect like timing for this. Well, thing because like, she, it opens up with like, oh, I I grew up in California. Right. I was a child actor. Yeah. I wanted to do this. Yes. My parents helped me, and then I became a huge success. It's got the same baggage that Billy does. Yeah. And we talked about this with the Billy Eilish documentary as well, mm-hmm. which is like it does remind you, she's not completely helpless. She did get a boost that a lot of people don't get. You have to remember that when you talk about this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, you're right. It's important to keep in mind. But overall, though, it is still a uniquely like a unique way to be catapulted that really only exists now. The idea of a video going viral and that becoming an entire career, like the fact that she had to basically convince her label to make a record, right. like an album, because uh, off, off of driver's, off of license. driver's license success, and they agreed at some point because she could write. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's made them millions upon millions of dollars, that decision. So I'm sure that they don't regret it. But yeah, you're right. There's a little bit of nuance there, a little context that maybe other people maybe not have the same advantage. It does touch on that in in, uh, Driving Home to You. Not a whole lot, but it is there. But it's not the point. I feel like if you're going to do that, it has to be the whole focus of what you're doing. 
And that's a different documentary. That's closer to a Miss Americana when you yeah. actually start digging into the psyche of the person and be like, how has this fame affected you? Maybe that's coming in another four years. Maybe we'll get that Olivia documentary <laughs> when that happens. But for now, she's starting. And this is a good idea, like a good uh, document of your first record, your first success. Kind of similarly to that first two parts of Kanye's thing. Yep. Is a good, like, really, like, I, uh, good version of what it means to go from not, like, like on the fringes to world-shatteringly shatteringly big in just one record. Um, yeah, or just, like, one song. Like, one song. Yeah. One, um, in both one shining cases, moment. Yeah, exactly. We're, we'll get there. That's we'll get there. That's next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to talk about in television? Um, real quickly, uh, Amanda Bynes, conservatorship. Yeah. Ends. Not television news, but yes, relevant. No. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know where else to put this, but, right. um, just something that had popped in my head because we were talking about, like, child stars yeah. with Olivia Rodrigo, and yeah. like, oh, Amanda Bynes, child star, conservatorship ends. Um, so good for her. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> good for us. Um, just real briefly about television. You're so happy and healthy. Uh, Not me, but if you ever care to ask. Media Vote favorites, uh, Amphibia and Owl House have restarted their seasons this past week. I will talk about yep. those again when we hit the finales. Uh, you mentioned the bombs were dropping last week. Yes, so, so exciting stuff happening on both of those shows. Yep. Um, 911 officially returned, so did The Good Doctor. Uh, so so TV, Network TV is back. Network TV is back. Olympics are done. Um, <laughs> yeah. All your uh, good, wholesome... Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, same with MasterChef. That is also back. Oh, is it? Uh, MasterChef Junior. Oh, okay. sorry. Chef is Mark? back. Yes. I started up again. So, yeah. Um, between now, um, April through end of May, start of June, is going to be your uh, eight weeks of good network TV, or right. at least your comfort binging TV. Sounds um, good to me. Along with that, Keenan Young Rock also return. Uh, same Great. with Mr. Mayor. Yep. Um, all the FBI shows on uh, and uh, Chuck Lorre stuff on yep. uh, CBS. The ABC stuff has also returned. Yep, um, Survivor also returned. I think last week as yeah. well. I think there's a new um, Celebrity Survivor version, um, Edge of the Unknown or something like that. Living on Edge the of the Unknown. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. It's it's Edge of something. All right. Uh, but yeah, um, Network TV's back. Um, it's going to get run through the end uh, to the end of summer here. Yeah, cool. Oh, sorry, the end of summer. Beginning, yeah, beginning of, summer. of summer, yes. Yeah. End of, through spring. Yep, through spring, through yep. the beginning of summer, where once we get to summer, it's game show times again. All right. Because it's cheap TV to me. Well, that's a perfect segue into cancellations and renewals. Let's talk about some of the shows that are continuing and some of the shows that are not. Yes. First up on Nickelodeon, they are bringing back the Patrick Star show, that SpongeBob spinoff for a spin second off. season. Spinoff. Yes, spinoff, spinoff. Back to 15, <laughs> we'll get a second season on Netflix. The Oval will get another season on BET, as well as Sistas. Yep, both of those are Tyler Perry joints. My brilliant friend. Not me. Uh, we'll be getting a... <laughs> we'll, we'll end after its fourth season on HBO. And just like that, the spinoff of uh, Sex and the City will get a second season on HBO Max. Pacific Rim, The Black. The series based on the Pacific Rim franchise will get a second season, but it will be its last on Netflix. Mm -hmm. The Ultimatum was given an ultimatum for a second season on Netflix. Yep, ahead of its uh, first season premiere, which is in next month, I believe. And 
media vote favorite? Love is Blind. We'll get two more seasons. We'll bring it to a fifth season on Netflix. Yep. Uh, we have five seasons of Love is Blind coming our way. Meanwhile, the CW has done... Oh, did I skip one? You skipped yeah. one. Archive 81, by the way. Uh, canceled after one season on Netflix. But then, as I was going to say, the CW has done their annual Everything is Renewed, Oprah style, uh, for one season extra. Uh, the Berlanti shows. Yeah. All American, The Flash, Kung Fu, Nancy Drew, Riverdale, Superman and Lois, and Walker are all getting another season. Oh, one of also mentioned also back from the break with its season premiere is Riverdale. Yes. Uh, or not season, mid-season premiere. So that's back as well. Again, I will talk about that when we hit the finale. Because, oh boy, it's already already getting ridiculous in classic Riverdale <laughs> stand. And, uh, yeah, I know you saw my tweet. Yes. Oh boy. I'll tell you after the podcast the weird-ass thing that's happening in Riverdale right now. All right, that's it for Cancellations in the New Worlds, but we have one really sad death to talk about that happened uh, yesterday. Struck out of nowhere. It happened, I, we thought about it this morning, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, it came out, news came out yesterday as the uh, aforementioned Foo Fighters yeah. were set to perform uh, during a festival. Yeah, so the Foo Fighters, the dr- their longtime drummer, Taylor Hawkins, has passed away at the young age of 50. It's unclear exactly what the cause is right now. Um, cause of death currently is yeah. unknown. He was just found in his hotel room one hour, yeah. or at least um, I think two hours before they were set to go on stage. A statement was put out by the Food Fighters on Twitter, Facebook, social media, one hour before they were set to perform. Yeah. That drummer, Taylor Hawkins, has officially passed away. So needless to say, of course, this is a sad one. 50 is very young. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a very influential, important drummer in rock and roll. Part of the reason why Foo Fighters works so well is because everybody is such a great musician in that band, mm-hmm. including Taylor Hawkins. And I think the best way to put it, and I saw this on Twitter, is you have to be a great drummer to drum in a band with Dave Roll and not want Dave Roll to be on your band. Yes. Like the fact that that's not even a question, that of course, of course he's the drummer. It means that you are one of the best drummers of all time. Mm-hmm. So we lost a great today, and it's just, just so sad to see. We expect to see tributes to him at the Grammys. I expect to see tributes to him in, throughout the year. I expect to see um, Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl talk a lot about the legacy of this guy. Yep. This morning on K-Rock, driving here, they were playing a lot of Foo Fighters in honor of him mm-hmm. and having little blips of uh, talking about like uh, little tributes to him. Just so depressing and just so sad. Just have a legend of drumming just lost at such a young age. Yeah, 50 is young. Yes. Um, for, I mean, in this day and age, it's especially unexpected, too. It's brutal. It's brutal in the way it is. So, yeah, we'll be missed. Yep. Um, no word yet on whether Foo Fires will continue performing. I can only guess that, one, the remainder of their con will be postponed. I would, I would imagine until would they imagine. find somebody either, like you said, to tour uh, uh, with them as a drummer. Or Dave Grohl just goes on drums. Sings from the kit, maybe, yeah, I don't, kit. and have a guitarist. I don't know what they yeah. do. You have a lot of options, but I don't know. Anyway. But, yeah, but right now, I think Foo will take some time. Yes. And, um, I mean, like, like we said, they put in an album. So, yes. listen to that. Listen to the discography. Um, it's just sad news. Unexpected yeah, sad news. For sure. 
Let's move on, hopefully, with some better news as we move into the movie section, which this week is actually kind of a big deal because it is Oscar weekend, baby. And we'll get to that. First off, though, we have to talk about the box office. Number one, The Batman with another $36 million. That's an even cool $300 million domestic. Hey, that's a hit. Yeah, that's not bad. Congratulations, Matt Reeves. Number two, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, colon, The Movie. You said that right. $14 million debut. So there's your anime film. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Follow, following uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train. Yeah, I guess so. Your, uh, your, your new anime film. Number three, Uncharted with another $7.8 million. That's at 125. Ooh, that's a middle of 125. Yeah, not great for it. Number four, X with a $4.4 million debut. Number five, rounding out your top five, Dog with another $3.9 million. That's at 54. In case you were wondering where your uh, last week's debut, Uma, went way down at number 11 with only $1 million. Not so great. Nope, it was, I'm uh, not going to see this. <laughs> I guess not. But if that doesn't sound interesting to you, we do have one release this week. Uh, or Yes, yes. Which is the big um, Sony Marvel film in the Venomverse, I guess is what they're Venomverse. calling it. Morbius, and oh boy, is it getting bad press before this thing comes out. Yes. Um, the Lost City with Sandra Bullock is currently out right yes. now as of this recording. Right. But next week, Morbius yes, with Morbius. Jared Leto. Jared Leto, looking ridiculous. And as Vampire yeah. Morbius. All the word of mouth about this thing seems bad, so uh, be really? beware. Yeah. Really? The trailer didn't tell you it was going to be bad? Oh my god, <laughs> everything about this seems bad. Is what Jared Leto, sorry Jared Leto, did that yeah, say it was going to be bad? Yeah, red flag right there. There you go. <laughs> Moving on into movie news. Of course, like I said, it's rewards week. Or rewards week. Awards week. Awards. Awards are rewards. Yes. For good movies. And the thing that, of course, happens right before Oscars is the BAFTA. So we move into uh, the UK to talk about those. The Power of the Dog was your big winner, big two, taking the big two prizes of the night, Best Picture and Best Director for Jane Campion, as the final awards ceremony is right around the corner tomorrow with the Oscars. Dune cleaned up below the line with score, cinematography, production design, sound, and visual effects. The expected acting awards went to Will Smith, Troy Kotsur, Ariana DeBose, but with British actor Joanna Scanlon making the upset victory for Actors Love. She is not, however, up for the Oscar and will not be an upset there. Oh, no. That was definitely a Homer <laughs> pick. British actors always do yes, British awards show. Sure. Meanwhile, Coda and Licorice Pizza were your screenplay winners. And Belfast won the lone Homer Award that night for an outstanding British film. So those are the BAFTAs. Seems to pretty much match up with my expectations for Oscar night. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about these baptists. Yes, but uh, we have to go into where yes. do I see it here? Our second. You did not share it with this account. Okay. I, I shared it with your personal account. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that moves on obviously into our second section here, which is all about the Oscars. Let's move some through some Oscar bits before we do our predictions here for the Media World Podcast. Mm -hmm. First up. With three films putting a spotlight on deaf culture, this year the Academy will test out tablet technology for the purposes of translation. Guests at the Dolby Theater can request a tablet at their seat, which hooks into the cup holder. Each tablet features a fully adjustable arm, so guests can move it into a position that best suits them. 
Two ASL interpreters situated in a room directly next to the main house will sign everything that happens inside the Dolby, and they will be live-streamed to those tablets. The telecast will be hosted by a trio of actress-comedians, Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Schumer recently made comments about having Ukraine President Zelensky, a former actor himself, provide a prepared message to be played during the ceremony. We don't know if that's actually going to happen. No. Um, there was a headline <laughs> saying that um, Schumer wanted Zelensky at the Oscars. It was taken out of context. It yeah. said that she was talking with producers about Zelensky either uh, doing a live feed or something pre-recorded to play at the Oscars, since the Oscars has a lot of eyes on it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Meanwhile, the Academy has mulled over its COVID protocols, with first revealing that they would not require vaccinations for its guests, but, of course, quickly reversed its stance to vaccination requirements for nominees and guests, but not performers and presenters. I don't know where, why they would have such a weird line there, but yeah. here we are. Oh, it's not a dot, that's why. <laughs> but people will see... Yeah, it's, it's a sheet. It's a, dot. it's a sheet. It's, it's not a, sheet. a dot. It's a That's sheet. why. That's why I can't find it. All right. I'm just going right. to shut these news bits here. Uh, where was I? Five craft and three short film category presentations, as we previously reported, will be cut out of the live broadcast at the Dolby Theater. The eight categories consist of animated short, not animated feature. Yeah, yes, animated documentary and live action short film. Right. Editing, makeup, and hairstyling, original score, production design, and sound. So a lot of the below-the-line stuff will not be on the telecast, but will be presented in abbreviated form. Yes. One member of the sound branch is so upset that they're, quote, considering everything up to and including resigning from the Academy, unquote. They said, I'm furious. It shows a complete lack of respect for the craft. Sounds like we're weaving baskets rather than creatively participating in making a film. I've been communicating with people about this, and as far as I can tell, there's unanimous anger and disappointment among the sound branch at this move. There's discussion going on about a broad response for content to, content to directors, too. And Though, quote, a day, like about 24 hours, more or less, before the show starts, no movement has been made about this. It seems like they're going through with the decision, and we'll see if there's a reaction. Yep, um, because this is the award site. This is where you get your name out there. This is the broad telecast. Yeah. And if you are awarded and you don't get recognized for mm -hmm. it, um, you might as well have been awarded at the governor's ball, where it's not telecasted anyways. Yeah, it's like, you know, the debate between, like, which Emmys count. Like, yes. <laughs> the ones that are on TV for prime time or the local Emmy you get for your news show. Right. And, yeah, I think it sucks. Uh, all of the statues should be given out live. Straight up. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Who cares if no one's watching it? If you really care, give it to streaming network that'll share that'll show it to the audience that actually need, wants to see it the whole time. Put it on streaming yeah. to where you can run it with a commercial free and have people there watch yeah. it. So you run your commercials during the broadcast, get your commercial yeah. money there. The, but yeah. on streaming, have it uh, live there. The era in which the Oscars were a mainstream event is over and has been over for a decade. Yep. This is the era of marketing to the people where the audience is. Find your audience as opposed to trying to cater to every audience. That's my opinion. Now, speaking of audiences, it's our time to tell our audience what we think the winners to tomorrow's broadcast will be. Yep. 
Uh, so we're just going to go in order here what you've written down. Yeah, this was the order presented in one of the uh, websites that I was I looked at. I forget yep. whose order it was. But yes, this will take us to, uh, actually, I want to say this maybe is broadcast order, or at least it's similar to what it's I think similar to broadcast might say order. in yeah. the broadcast order because it ends with the big prices. Yeah, it ends with director pictures. So this yeah. might be the broadcast order. Might be. So let's start from the very top. So what we've done here is we basically said, this is just to remind everybody who we think will win. This is not personal choice. If we want to, we can also say who we think actually deserves it. Yes. But let's start with the top here, Best Supporting Actor. We have Kieran. Is that how you say his first name? Uh, Kieran. Kieran Nines uh, for Belfast. Troy Kotzer for Coda. Jesse Plemons for The Power of the Dog. J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos. And Cody Smith-McPhee for The Power of the Dog. Who do you have for this one? Uh, going with the one who's been winning it all, going with the BAFTA just now, uh, Troy Kotzer for Coda. Yes, that's what you have as well. Yeah, I think it's this choice that makes this uh, same uh, makes sense the most uh, this year. As you said, seems to be the popular favorite in other award shows going into the Oscars. Also, a deaf actor signing throughout this film mm -hmm. makes it a unique performance that's unlike anything else. Definitely makes his performance stand out. Uh, best supporting actress is going to be a runaway for Ariana DeBose. Don't need to name anyone else on this list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's going that way. I think if you do see an ups upset, it's it's uh, probably Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog. But yeah, you're right. Seems like most likely Ariana DeBose here. Uh, all of us here have the, have that as our call. Yep. Uh, the other nominees who will only stay. So the other nominees who can put Academy Award nominee. On their uh, banners. Yes. Uh, Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughters, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, and Ajuane Ellis Anjanu. Anjanu. You say it like the word. Anjanu <laughs> uh, by King Richard. Yes. Moving on to the next category Best Animated Short Film, one of the notoriously hardest to guess. Yep. Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Ballet, Robin Robin, and The Windshield Wiper. So what do you have for this one? Um, I'm going with the windshield wiper. No, no, no. It's like homeless. That's why. That, that, that's, that, that's why I went with that. Person wipes windshield. Okay, so I'm going with Robin Robin because that is the Ardman short here. Okay. Ardman and Oscar Darling. So uh, yes. Also, it's the only one out of these that I have heard about. Okay. So that's kind of my, my reasoning for that one. All right. Uh, best costume design. Yes. For Cruella, Serrano. 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 <laughs> Dune, <laughs> Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. As much as I liked the uh, costume design for West Side Story uh -huh. and Nightmare Alley, yeah, it's Cruella. It's gonna be Cruella. That's a fashion. Show. Whenever you make a movie that literally is about fashion, it's gonna have a step up for costume design. It would be wild if it loses Mrs. Cruella's Oscar to win. Um, best live action short film. Yeah. Um, a la Kachu, just take your butt. The dress. <laughs> The Long Goodbye, On My Mind, and Please Hold. Another notoriously hard uh, category to grasp because these are not really widely available. Mm -hmm. um, I have The Long Goodbye here as it seems by. to be the most winningest going into this. Yep. That being said, this is one of those really tight categories could literally be anyone's. Right, because they're live action short films which yeah. you have to go to festivals to see <laughs> or I believe Amazon put them on? Yes, some of them. I think. It was either Amazon or Hulu who did um, who put all the live, both live action and animated shorts 
on their streaming service. Yeah. I want to say it was Amazon Direct because they also did the South by Southwest. I think right? you're right. They do have deals with those studios. Yep. Next up, Best Original Score. An interesting one this year. Uh, Don't Look Up, Nicholas Patel. Dune by Hans Zimmer. Encanto by Jermaine Franco. Parallel Mothers by Alberto Iglesias. And The Power of the Dog by Johnny Greenwood. So, so everyone's going with Dune. Dune's been winning yes. sound across the board. Dune seems to be the Except favorite going Except for in. you. So I am differentiating here because this, and I said this when I talked about my, my take on The Power of the Dog on this podcast. This is the first time in probably a long, long time, maybe since like Up, where I've actually, Pixar's Up, where I've actually thought about a score after I finished the movie. I'm not kidding. The score in Power of the Dog is so unique and so driving and so interesting and does so much work and heavy lifting in this movie to make the vibe different than it would be if it was at, without it that I think that this movie is defined by its score to the point where I can't not try to at least like award it. I think it has a chance too because Johnny Greenwood is a known name mm-hmm. for his work with Radiohead. I think that that could give them a little bit of an advantage. This is not wouldn't be the first time that somebody who used to be in a band, I'm looking <laughs> at you, Trent Reznor, has a chance at an Oscar here. So, yes, Dune is going in with them as the favorite because it's a recognizable name with Hans Zimmer. But I don't know if you've been paying attention to Hans Zimmer in the last 10 years, but he's made basically a company, and it's not really him that's writing his music. Like, it's music by committee. And so to me, I think to award Hans Zimmer for a decade where he pretty much just kicked his feet up and like delegated responsibilities seems a little unfair, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. You know, they shouldn't award, put awards to people who kick their feet up and delegate to other people how they should act, how they should dress, how they should um, be, uh, say certain words, how lighting should look. No, no, th- those people don't, don't deserve to be awarded. Yes, yes, they are. I know. You know what I mean, though. I feel like, to me, I want to reward a more unique, special score as opposed to, oh, you did a fantasy score that has got a memorable, like, theme, which is what everybody's saying about Dune. It's like, well, it's got a memorable theme. Like, yeah, I get it, but still. So, yes, Dune will probably win here, but I'm crossing my fingers for Power of the Dog. It's all right. It's because we both agree that it's going to sweep everything below the line. So, yes, Yes, uh, best sound will definitely go to Dune. Not a question. It, like the fact that there, there were literally sounds that were so high pitched, I could not hear them with my old ass ears. <laughs> of course, I didn't have the sound system I do now, so maybe I was just losing the frequency. Well, that's a good thing is that now with uh, HBO Max yeah, back on there, you can watch it. it again. But yeah, literally, we were watching the subtitles because Christy loves subtitles, so it had to say high pitched <laughs> whirring or whatever on it or high pitched vocals, and I literally was like, "Well, I'm glad that subtitle is telling me because I can't hear shit." <laughs> So great sound design is, I guess, what I'll have to say. So it will go to Dune. Adapted screenplay. So right now the competitors are Coda by Sean Hader, Drive My Car by Ryusuke Hamaguchi and Tamasa Oe, Dune by John Spates, Denise Villeneuve, and Eric Roth. Jesus name. The Lost Daughter by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes, that Maggie Gyllenhaal. And The Power of the Dog by Jane Campion. You are differentiating here. Is it too late to change my vote? No. Yes. Yes, it is. You are locked. Okay, because I want to put Coda here instead. Too late. Yes. Um, uh, so my, my current vote is Drive My Car. Yes. Um, namely, I picked it because it is the international film that is in Best Adapted Screenplay. It's different. 
It strikes out to me. Uh, yeah, it's an adaptation specifically of a Murakami book as mm -hmm. well, and he's pretty well, the, probably the most well-known Japanese author. So if that's going to be your source material, then I'd say it's a good start. Yeah. But the favorite here, of course, is Jane Campion's adaptation of Power of the Dog. I think it's hard to argue with. I think if there is some sort of upset for Best Picture, it will at least win adaptation credit. So I'd say this is where Power of the Dog shines. Um. I did not pick Power of the Dog anywhere because it is Netflix. And Again, Academy I don't does not think, like Netflix. I don't think I'm just saying. it matters anymore as much as you think it does. All right, so let's go to Best Original Screenplay. Yes, we have Belfast by Kenneth Branagh, Don't Look Up by Adam McKay and David Sirota, King Richard by Zach Balin, Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson, and The Worst Person in the World by Exil Vogt and Joaquin Croer. So you have Belfast here. Yes. Uh, I am a big Kenneth Branagh. He's both, so Belfast is nominated up there with Power of the Dog in the most across all categories. But Branagh is, is not nominated. the favorite in any of them. It's not the favorite in it, but Branagh himself is also the most nominated person uh, across all the films, uh, across all the categories. You're saying like he's got to win one if of them? If he's going to win one of them, <laughs> it's going to be here. I don't know. I'm banking, literally banking on a Belfast snub tomorrow night, so... I don't see it happening. I would say, if he's going to win one, it might as well be here, because he's not going to win, even though he's producing, or the other stuff, not going to win anywhere else. On a similar fashion, though, I think this is where Licorice Pizza wins, because I think otherwise there's not an award it will win. This is its time to shine. I think Paul Thomas Anderson's screenplay is the reason this movie exists. I think even beyond the direction, this is the, the soul of this movie. And it's such an interesting, weird quirky screenplay with weird quirky characters having adventures i think it's gotta be acknowledged for it i think licorice pizza wins it right but like going into pre-oscar season like belfast was the thing everyone was talking yeah. about because of the screenplay the of the earth. because of the screenplay that, because it was good so i'm, I'm hoping more. that that's gonna it lost that, the momentum the momentum is gone okay. i don't think it has a chance all right uh, best actor in the leading role. It is a lock. Yeah. Um, Will Smith has won every award there is to win for best leading actor, unless we have another weird uh, ass, weird -ass, ass last upset year. from last year. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen. I think this is Will Smith's lose. I think you have an outside chance of Benedict Cumberbatch, but besides that, it's Will Smith's night. Yep. Because uh, others in the nominated for lead actor is Javier Bardem, mm. Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield. And Denzel Washington. Yeah. I'm, um, one of these things is not like the other. Looking at you, Andrew Garfield. And you know what? If that movie is going to be acknowledged for anything, it's going to be his performance in it. Yeah. But, yeah, I think Will Smith. But you're talking about Andrew Garfield up against four like, titans yeah. of the industry here. Right. Of right. acting. Titans of acting. But stuff. But stuff. But yeah, this will, will be Will Smith's Oscar to win. Yep. This actress, in a similar way, is pretty much a lock at this point. Although Ooh. you don't agree. I don't agree. Jessica Chastain is going in as the favorite for the eyes of Tammy Faye and is my pick. But you have Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter as she is a, already an Oscar winner mm -hmm. and is notoriously unpredictable speech-wise. Yes. And is de just generally a good, like a good, uh, like a good vibe for Oscar night. So I could see it happening if there is an upset here. I mean, it was a surprise that she won uh, last time. Yeah. When she was nominated here. So, yeah, I'm pulling for it. 
Also, uh, with outside chance, Kristen Stewart with a hot year right now. Yes. She has a chance, but only I feel like if Jessica Chastain and Olivia Coleman split the vote, which I don't think they will. I don't think they will. Yeah. They're just going to split one way or the other, not evenly. Right. I don't think Kristen so. Stewart I think Jessica it. Chastain has this, but. Yeah. Uh, the other nominees, Nicole Kidman for being Ricardos yeah, and Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mother. Yep. All right, moving on to the media vote podcast category. I mean, the best animated feature film category. <laughs> Probably the one we give the most lip service to every year. Yes. Uh, because we are who we are. That's between Encanto, the documentary Flea, Luca, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. So this race, of course, is really Encanto versus the Mitchells. You have them both taking pretty much even awards going into this. Mm -hmm. The more animation specialized awards seem to be giving more of the nods to the Mitchells, whereas your broader format ones are giving it to Encanto. That being said, the Annies went to Mitchells versus the Machines. But again, the Annies are only animation industry. Yes. I feel like the broad spectrum of voters you get are going to go to You've read those articles about uh, like people who vote and don't know half the animated features in there. Yes. They know the one that their kids watch. Yep. And as we know from the music charts this year, it's kids watched Encanto more than anything else. Yes, I know that. This is Encanto's to win, and it will be an upset if the Mitchells takes it. Of course, I will be thrilled, because obviously I think it should win. Yes. Um, Mitchells vs. Machine also won during the Producers yes. uh, award show. Again, different clientele. I think yes. this is... The biggest block here is actors, and what do actors have? They have young children who have watched Encanto. I don't know. I think this is Encanto's, especially in a year where Bruno was everywhere. Yes, but if there's one place where I'm going to take the edge in our county yeah. here... You're doing the thing that I here. did with score here. I get it. Yes. Where it's like, obviously this is a passion for you. Yep. So We'll see. Maybe. I would love to be wrong here. Yep. This is the only one where I would love to be there wrong. Yes. Yeah. Moving on. Best Cinematography... This is the classic matchup, and I'll get there in a second, but here's all the, uh, the nominee options here. Dune, Greg Frazier for that film. Nightmare Alley, Dan Lauston. The Power of the Dog, Ari Wegner. The Tragedy of Macbeth, Bruno Delbano. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, yeah. And West Side Story by everybody's favorite, unpronounceable name, Janu Kaminsky. Janu yeah. What do you do with this Z? Isn't it's Polish. It's not a Z. Anyways, the favorite going into this is Dune. It seems yeah. like it's mostly won this category. But I've also seen people say that there's possibilities for Power of the Dog and Tragedy of Macbeth here. They're both very well shot films, especially Power of the Dog, um, that compared to something like Dune, which has the advantage of being an effects style movie that it may actually tip the scales a little bit but like i said this is a classic matchup because this is where i've gotten this category wrong in the past mm -hmm. i've last year for instance i put my eggs in the basket of of the more traditionally shot film and ended up getting it wrong and it went to the effects mm -hmm. film so that's why i have dune here because i'm not going to make the same mistake twice well i have Dune here because it's my number one film of the year last year right. i mean i've basically swept dune all throughout here Except for Best Picture, which we'll get to. We'll get there. Next up, though, is Best Documentary Feature, which also seems to be a lock at this point. It's between Ascension, Attica, Flea, Summer of Soul, quote, or uh, parentheses, dot, 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 or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, in parentheses, and Lighting with Fire. You pretty much see Summer of Soul winning this uh, with an outside chance of Flea, I think. 
yeah. as it's unique in its animated format. Uh, yeah, an animated documentary, but Summer yeah. of Soul by it's, Questlove about yeah. the 1970s revolution. It's got the big name to it. It's got this political cachet. It's got the Disney got Plus behind it. The There's a little bit of Disney behind it. Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like this is probably your winner. I still haven't seen this. I'm going to watch this today. Uh, I think it's on Disney Plus. It is on Disney Plus and Hulu. Yep. So check that out. Meanwhile, documentary short subject, we have Audible, Lead Me Home, The Queen of Basketball, Three Songs for Benazir, and When We Are Bully When We Were Bullies. Why do you have three songs for Benazir here? Um it sounded like a more <laughs> um like family one. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, uh, uh, similar to like a, a journal for Jordan, like uh, yeah. about a short subject about um, parents doing something for their kids. Uh, I think I should have gone with Audible, but that's the one about the deaf school. Yes, but you know why? That breaks your own rule because that's Netflix. Yes, that's the that's the thing here is that Audible, depending on where you're seeing predictions, that seems to be a favorite for yes. this category. But it's a very tight category, just like the short is. Right. I have Queen of Basketball because I saw that more than Audible. But I also I'll, I could see it going that direction. Those are the two. Once again, this. short subject. It's going to be a toss up. Yeah. Next up, film editing. This is a weird one this year. Between Don't Look Up, Ugh. Dune, King Richard, The Power of the Dog, and Tick Tick Boom, all very different, ed- differently edited films. Yes. So this could go literally any way. I don't know, but because most of the uh, most of these technical awards are going to Dune, it's going to probably. Yes, uh, as I mentioned, if you're going to go below the line here, mm-hmm. your best bet is going with Dune because uh, it's going to win. Probably ended up nine out of the ten awards it's nominated for. But it below the line. if the editors have their way, though, you could see a Don't Look Up upset that pisses everyone off. Oh, yes, you could, but we will not. <laughs> like what? Like, uh, like the Bohemian Rhapsody debacle could happen all over again. You're going to see all these great packages of like, a movie that was edited like this won the editing award. Yep. And everybody would be upset about it. Another lock category is Best International Feature Film, where Drive My Car is all but guaranteed to win. You also have Flea nominated here, as well as The Hand of God from Italy, Luana, A Yak in the Classroom from Bhutan, and The Worst Person in the World from Norway. But yeah, it's Drive My Car. Yep, uh, the international film that's also nominated for Best Feature Film. It has to. It's the Roma rule. It's the the Roma rule. (laughs) Next up, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, aka the category where you get the weirdest nominees, is this year Coming to America, Cruella, Dune, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and House of Gucci. Even though leading up to this, it seemed like House of Gucci is to win, it is now The Eyes of Tammy Faye seems to be the favorite in this category. Due to the fact of how accurate Tammy Faye is in this film. Uh, this is getting the Dallas Buyers Club bump. Yes, it is. Uh, that being said, uh, that's where you're going. Yeah. I'm going with Cruella because mm. of all the makeup and hairstyling. Specifically the hairstyling. Yeah, there's a hairstyling argument there. But... And it's makeup. And it's fashion. But just... And it's uh, 70s yeah. London punk yeah. aesthetics. But the accuracy of the Tammy Faye stuff, I think. Hard to argue with. Like I said, it's got the Dallas Buyers Club winning mm-hmm. one for makeup and hairstyle. So yeah, keep an eye on the eyes, is what I will say. Yep. Original song, this one is a tough one this year. This is split down the middle. We have Be Alive from King Richard, which has the Beyonce power behind it. Dos Oroguitas from Encanto, which has the Lin-Manuel power behind it. 
Down to Joy by Van Morrison, so nobody cares. And <laughs> No Time to Die from Billie Eilish, who has the award power behind it. And then also Somehow You Do from Four Good Days by Diane Warren, which has the Diane Warren effect to it. <laughs> so geez, there's another one that could go all sorts of ways. Yep. My power is behind Billy here. She's on an awards hot streak. And I think that the broader amount of people that are voting will will be like, oh, Billie Eilish, and go here. But there's an argument in the same kind of way for the Disney song. My thing is that no time My thing is that no time to die should not even qualify for this Ooh. area because the song itself was released a year and a half prior that, to of course, the film actually being released. A moot point, though, because it's clearly nominated. Yeah, so you can't. Yeah, that doesn't matter. But I still. Plays into why I don't want it to win. So why do you have Lin- why do you have Lin-Manuel? Uh, because Lin-Manuel didn't win for Moana. Right. One. So it's a revenge it's Oscar. A, it's a revenge Oscar. It's also the EGOT. It's also the EGOT if he wins it. Yeah. But it's also the foreign language um, Spanish version yeah. of Origuitas, which even if you don't speak Spanish, still comes across emotionally well, and you get what the tone and the feeling in the film. With that song. Yeah, you're not wrong. I agree with you. And I think that probably if it was my personal choice, I would also go with it. So this is another instance of if it does win, I wouldn't be mm-hmm. upset. That being said, it seems like it's Billy's to win here. Uh, Billy and Phineas are both you know, award-like champions right now. I can't see them losing. Yes, but Lin-Manuel's Wells EGOT. Lin-Manuel's Wells EGOT. Might lose again. Lin-Manuel's Wells EGOT. I tell you, Lin. Moving into production design as we start to get towards the end here. We have Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Even though I think this should be Nightmare Alley and it's obnoxious that it's not the favorite, this will be Dune. So here's where I say that I actually watched Nightmare Alley. Yeah, okay. I like the production design. Very classy. Uh, But it's also very dynamic between the carny part Mm -hmm. And the uh, city part. Yeah, the, 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 when, when it goes the, into noir mode it's, in the second half, they really pivot. Really yes, well. it pivots hard with yeah. the production. That shows being variety, said, it shows range. That being said, it's Dune. It's Dune, though. It's Dune. You make sand exciting because there's something <laughs> How do you make sand exciting? You make sand exciting. You make Dune. Good <laughs> and yeah, you're right. The whole vibe of Dune is well done for the kind of fantasy world it needs to portray. Mm-hmm. And it will, it will likely be celebrated. Also, when you're, if you're doing, you may not be doing this, but a direct comparison between the 1984 Dune and <laughs> Best Production and uh, 2022 or 2021 Dune, there's no comparison. You can oh, see yeah. the leaps and bounds in that production design. Absolutely. Everywhere across the board. Speaking of which, Best Visual <laughs> Effects will also likely go to Dune, also in this category. Also for the exact same reasons. Yeah. Look at those visual effects. Right. So we don't need to say much about that, but also in this category, Free Guy. No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Spider-Man No Way Home. You might as well rename this as the action movie category, because that's what's in here every year. So yeah, Dune will win there. Yep. Moving on to Best Director, which seems to be a lock. We have Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Ryusuke Hamaguchi for Drive Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. This also has the Revenge Oscar uh, theme this year, as... Jane Campion, notably lost for the piano, uh, will likely win here. Uh, seems to be the favorite going into it. 
game campaign that's not lost in directors here. So it would make sense. Also, notably, will be the second woman to ever win Best Director. Yep, the if first one, wins. if she wins. First one being um, 2010's yes. Oscar uh, Oscar winner, right? Did yes, win? for the, the, the Hurt Locker. Yeah, for the, the Hurt Locker. Best Picture winner, the Hurt Locker. Also, yes, one for uh, Catherine, Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow for uh, Best Director as well. Yes. So yeah, look forward to that. And then we have the big one, Best Picture, which we seem to think is a two-way street. There's only two ways this could possibly go. Yep. We have Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, and The Power of the Dog, and with West Side Story as the outside. So, let's just break down everything oh, real yeah. quick here. Yes. West Side Story, it's great, it's acting, it's beautiful to look at, it's from Steven Spielberg, but it's also the safe play. It, it's very safe, it's got the Disney lobby power behind it, but I don't think it has a chance here against a stronger competition. I yep. think in any other year it might have shock for not the year it does. Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. It's a favorite um, amongst, he's a favorite amongst the voting Previous academy. Previous pick, Best Picture and Best, Best Director Picture. winner. Exactly. Shape of Water, so he's got a little bit of cachet. That being said though, Nightmare Alley by, by just like, by the kind of film it is, is not as strong of an entry this year. It's not The Shape of Water. And I think that it's different enough and that it's just not as prestige as some of these other options. No, but it does have the circular storytelling where it ends right where it began. Yep. Um, Liquor's Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson, yes. also critical darling. Yes, uh, uh, often the uh, bridesmaid and not the bride when it comes to best picture and best director. But, uh, and this one also has the advantage of being the story about Hollywood. And yes. you know how much Hollywood loves stories about themselves. Though, again, because of the strength of this lineup, it will it will probably not win. But the fact that it's there is saying a lot. Yep. Um, King Richard. This is yeah. Will Smith's film, In and yes. Out. It is Will Smith's film in the acting category. Yeah. And that's why it's here, That's though. why it's here, though. Otherwise, you had some problems with storytelling in King Richard, and I don't think that it is strong enough of a film overall to really be a favorite. No. Uh, Dune. It's going to win yeah. every Below the Line award. It's your popular it's choice. Popular choice. It was my favorite film across uh, all of last year. But what usually happens with the popular <laughs> choice is it usually loses. Yes, it will lose. With the lose. exception of Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> I do not think... I think what the, the assumption here is, they'll give it to it after the trilogy is over. Yes. Or after the series is over. Yep. How many of these do you make? Yep. Uh, Dune 3 or whatever. Yeah, they Dune will four. not do it for the first one. Nope. Uh, Drive My Car, that's the international film. It'll win international film, yeah. but will not win Best Picture. This is your Sorry, potential Parasite-style upset. I don't think it does that. Yep. Uh, don't Look Up, Adam McKay, uh, coming off of The Big Short. The movie that does not belong in this list is the way I, what I will say. <laughs> it's purely on the cachet of Adam McKay and nothing else. Yep. Uh, and then Belfast, Kenneth Bragnaugh. This was the very early favorite for mm -hmm. Best Picture. Before yeah. streaming took over. Seems safe, a possible option if there is a split. Mm -hmm. Probably goes to Belfast. I honestly don't think, though. Like I said, the it's momentum had died. It's been nominated everywhere, but it hasn't picked up the hardware. The momentum died. So Which, that leaves the last two. Yeah, the two big ones that will be competing head-to-head. -head, the ones you're going to see. Yeah. The Power of the Dog for Netflix and Coda for Apple. One of these streaming services 
We'll walk away with the hardware. Here's where my whole thing about you uh, and your bias against Netflix doesn't make any sense because you have COVID. Yeah. That's so. I <laughs> I was talking to Christy about this. It's like it doesn't make any sense. They're never going to give it to Apple the first year of eligibility. No. They are such a new up-and-comer. As strong as CODA is, there's no way that goes through the bureaucratic red tape of the Oscars. Ah, but it does have the unique storytelling behind it. it. You're not wrong. I think it's a good movie. And it could potentially do a Green Book-style upset if it beats Power of the Dog. I think you're right. I'm just saying, Netflix has pissed a lot of people off in the industry. But... The pandemic changed everything for Netflix. Everything streaming, the, the world is different now. This, the, the industry had to accept streaming with open arms in order to coexist with it. And I think that that has forever changed how this, these awards go. And we're already seeing it. Power of the Dog has won so many of these prizes already. There's no way... It does not walk away with Best Picture tomorrow. Oh, I'll you put can, 10 bucks on it. We're putting money on this, so I am that confident about this. It's Power of the Dog. Coda is probably the other option here, but I think the politicking of streaming still exists for some of the players. I think it still exists for Amazon. I think it still exists for Apple TV. I think Netflix maybe has broken through some of that because if you have somebody like Jane Campion on your side... In a year where she's the favorite for director, I don't think you have the Roma split this year. I think I think they do it. Yes, I but think Coda the trigger. won the SAG Award for Best Ensemble. Coda won the Producers Award. I know. For, it's for also Fresco. it's also got the feel good ending. Also got the feel good ending. It's also the more family friendly Yes. Yes. Uh, one of these two, but I don't see it winning. I think the Power of the Dog. It's also the one that's like it's been saying of the unique perspective. Children of Dark People. And it's not only the revenge... Uh, Deaf Adults, sorry. Coda, Children of Deaf Adults. It's not only the revenge uh, Oscar for Jane Campion. It's also the revenge Oscar symbolically for uh, Brokeback Mountain. Mm -hmm. It represents so many things that I feel like it winning would mean a lot to a lot of people. I think that this is their opportunity. So would Coda. I know. Coda would... not in the same way. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. I just don't... I just... I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll see tomorrow, and we'll be back next week. We'll see. <laughs> Either it'll be me gloating or you gloating, and we're going to wait and see who, who gets to gloat. Either way, one of us is going to pick it up a phone and call it. We'll see. All right. So those are our predictions. If you were able to track down all that nonsense we just said, <laughs> you were able to jot down notes fast enough, uh, then have fun with that. But if not, make your own call. Make your own bet. It's fun. Or... Watch the Oscars and then come back and see what we got right, what we got right, wrong, exactly. and laugh at us. Yes, exactly. You can make fun of us if we're way off on all of this. You might be. Last year, that's what happened. So yeah. it could happen again. All right. Let's wrap this podcast up, why don't we, by talking about a couple of things that we watched that are technically movies. Technically movies, technically streaming. So I caught up, um, well, one, like I said, with Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Um, I agree with everything that you said about it when you watched it. It's a good film. It feels like two kind of different right. genres bumped up together. Yeah. Uh, but I do, did enjoy the circular storytelling, even if about halfway through, I realized that's exactly where they were going to go. Yes. Um, it, as soon as I realized it was a noir, I realized, oh, this is a tragedy. Yep. Because it has to be. It has to be. The way they written that character is you're not supposed to like him. I was, <laughs> I was a little bit worried that they were going to go a very matchstick man style at the very end there, mm-hmm. um, with uh, which it kind of did, 
but also kind of didn't. In a different yeah, way. if they did. But the way. fact that you end up uh, like Dan Harmon's circular telling you end right where you, <laughs> where you started. Yeah, it, it's cute in that way. It's cute in that like, way. Yeah, but yeah, I th- I think it's a strong movie, but I just think, like I said, compared to the best that Del Toro has done, it's not as consistent throughout, and it's not a, you don't come out of it being like, man, that was amazing. You come out of it being like, oh, huh. <laughs> so um. For this, I blame Bradley Cooper. He's too yeah. good looking to be in there. You're right. You, you like get someone like bit, Javier Bardem in there. Yeah, if you get a little character actor yeah. lady in there, I think that you do get a little bit more of that grizzled thing. Yeah. Because one of the reasons why noir worked in the 40s is because you, you're right. You didn't put established lead actors in those roles. You put in more of those weird, like weird, like kind of side, like dead. Yeah. Not like say, if you have Javier Bardem in there, like who mm-hmm. starts kind of like. Yeah. In that uh, like kind of grungy carny like vibe, and then moves up into the wealth established, and yeah. you can see the transformation of that because he's such a good actor. Like that's the big, that's the main thing. With the Bradley Cooper's a weird with. choice for this movie. It is. Yeah, I feel like that was a producer choice. If you need a big name actor in here, and also if you want to see two Bradley Cooper performances that could not be any different from each other, you should watch Nightmare Alley and then Licorice Pizza back to back. Wildly different performance than Licorice Pizza. I don't even want to spoil it because you should eventually watch that movie. Okay. But holy shit. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Um, but you also watched a couple of other things. Yeah. Um, I caught up on The Adam Project, which is the Ryan Reynolds time traveling yeah. with my kid. Um, if you d- completely ignore like all the time travel ratifications and also the fact that there's supposed to be one a kids movie, so it's not supposed to be that um, <laughs> like end of the world stakes. Right. It's it's fine. I mean, this is gonna be some kids' favorite movie growing up. Oh. Uh, similar to like how Spy Kids has that kind of like um, cachet around it, especially with our generation of how it was yeah. beloved by kids yeah. and kind of like eh, middling. Like is this right? Like with adults saw it. Same thing here with the Adam Project. A lot of it is oh that's nice. Like ah ha I get it. It's very sweet and kind of like that. But then if you think too hard about it, <laughs> it gets kind of muddled. So it's one of those things where like, yeah, it's good for like kids watch. It's like PG-13 safe, I think. Pretty PG safe. There's some gun and violence in it. But yeah, a lot of time travel shenanigans where if you think too hard about it, it's it kind of breaks the whole movie. Because as you talked about, as you are the, the, the expert on time travel movies here at the Media Vote Podcast, every time one of these comes out, it's either... You you have you talk about the same thing. You have to establish the rules and make the rules clear because yeah. if you don't, the entire movie doesn't work. The best time travel movies are the ones that really do a good job of being like, "This is how this works," and this is how we're going to stick to and it. And we're never going to move outside of that because yes. as soon as you do, especially like halfway through this film, they say, "Oh, well, spoilers. This person was actually the first time traveler. That's how they built all their wealth." Like, it's like, no, you already broke it. Well, you already broke it then. Like, doesn't make sense. Yeah. You have to establish that from the top, or else that's that, or else we can't follow it. Yep. Because then it's magic. You're not. You can never make it feel like magic. Yep. It has to feel like science. Um, oh, that's the other thing is that because they are from the future, coming back to our time, a lot of it does feel like magic because it's it's just a thing where like yeah. oh science and magic are just one and the same. You just can't really explain it quite right. yet. 
It's funny because that actually just came out, uh, came up in uh, Horizon. Yep. I was playing it where it was just like uh, the lady was just like, "Oh, I can't see that," and uh, and Aloy's like, "Oh, that's because you have an earlier model here. I'll show you. Yeah. I'll give you this thing." <laughs> like, oh my god, she's like, "It's magic. You can see the magic." And Aloy's like, "No, it's just technology." Yes. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And uh, lastly, the remake of Cheaper yes. by the Dozen on okay. Disney Plus. Content note about this. Last week, I could have sworn you said this was Zac Efron, and then I saw a trailer and like, oh, no, Zach that's Braff. Zac Braff. Yeah, that's Zac Braff. I don't know if I <laughs> might have said Zac Efron on it. So I was going into science this entire time, assuming it was Zac Efron in this movie as the dad. Oh, sorry, no, it's Zac Braff. Different Zac. <laughs> so yeah, I saw a trailer finally, and I was like, whoa, okay, Zac Braff. This is a completely different vibe than I thought. Makes a hundred percent more sense. I was like, Zach Efron's a weird choice. But Zach Braff. <laughs> Braff makes sense. Yeah, a little bit of sense. <laughs> also, a little bit of a weird choice, especially yeah. when they went with this. Um, how do I phrase this in a nice way? Of <laughs> Zach Braff being white savior here. Oh no! Because that's the vibe that I got yeah. across this whole film. It does some so as much as like. The was it two thousands? Yeah, four version. Yes, really early two thousand. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Steve Martin. It was mainly centered about the kids. Yes, uh, and how the kids and the dads become stay at home dads, move to the city. This is dad um, becomes success with his um, syrup and sauce, and so the mom <laughs> has to now stay home, mm-hmm. uh, but. The focus isn't necessarily around the kids. It's more about recent topic of like racial aggression mm-hmm. and like moving to a white affluent neighborhood and like different uh, racial aggressions in there. But the Zach Braff comes in and saves the day. Okay. There's different uh, times where <laughs> tension is built up amongst characters, and then Zach Braff comes in and kind of saves the day. <laughs> Yeah. It's a weird white savior complex. Picking apart like where it's like, oh, he's being a good dad and also cultural implications. Yes. Is a tricky thing to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, mm. it's a weird movie because it wants to make a statement. It wants to like, like put this in its place, put it in its face. But then you have Zach Braff coming in and like, yeah. I'm coming in and now I'm going to like put my foot down, be the good dad and save it's the day. Yeah. But at the same time, White savior complex. To be right, and maybe too perfect. Like maybe a little not bit, enough, like of a flaw for that character. Uh, not necessarily a flaw, but more of I'm going to come in and just solve everything for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it. Might not be like the right way to solve it, but it's the easy Hollywood way of solving yeah. things. So, despite the baggage, is this maybe like a fun family film for the Disney Plus weekend this week? It's a fine Disney Plus family film. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're both have different unique takes on how they get to the dozen, <laughs> which I think is kind of like a more modern version of right. the, the dozen version rather than, oh, I just pop up 12 kids. <laughs> yeah, I said all these. Thank you, Bonnie Hunt. You look yeah. great for having 12 kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do live in the uh, post-TLC reality show era <laughs> where, like, we've seen the eight kids. We've seen 12 kids and counting or whatever that show was. Kids and so it's like. So it's like, we've been there. We don't need to do this in our movies. Yeah, but that's the one thing that this movie actually does right, is that it's an amalgamation of 
different uh, family styles of mm-hmm. um, kids and divorce and adoption and uh, godsons and like family and uncles and, and nieces, yeah. uh, not nieces, um, like cousins coming into the family. It's an amalgamation of how they get to that doesn't, and that I liked. Yeah, that's a good turning point. Is that a family of uh, family entry with a by the dozen is not your traditional. I just had twelve kids. We're yeah. all related. It's we're an amalgamation of these different kind of circumstances that are out of our control, uh, but we're still a family. We're still a loving family, and that's the bright spot of Chipper by the Dozen. Okay, so it does some things well, but overall, weird, weird Zach Braff vibes. Yeah, weird, like <laughs> Zach Braff vibe here. Yeah. I feel like it's impossible for him to make something at this point and not have weird vibes. Uh, are you talking about like that commercial he's in? <laughs> yeah. He's such a weird guy now. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, uh, thank you for listening to our two-and-a-half-hour podcast. Yeah, sorry we went long, but I guess we had a lot to say about Kirby and the Oscars. So, apologies. Yes. But, uh, um, that's why it's uh, titled the way it is. Yeah. We'll be back next week with Oscar uh, well, Aftermath, I guess you could say, yep. as well as Granny Predictions as we go into Granny Night next mm-hmm. week. Other than that, we'll have the same as we always do, new movies, television, and uh, sports and video games news for you, all of those things and more. So stay tuned. If you would like to watch us in video form and live on Saturday mornings, you can do so on our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com, search Media Boat Podcast, and you can find our page. Like, subscribe, click on the bell for notifications when we go live. You can listen to us in audio form on your podcast service of your choice. For example, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, anywhere you listen to Apple Podcasts, anywhere you download and listen to podcasts, you can do so there. We have new episodes happening all the time. That's also where you can find our ongoing March Madness Bracket series, where we are currently determining what the best Disney animated song is. Will it be Bruno? Will it be Let It Go? Will it be classics like Songs from the Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast? Or will it be even more classics like When You Wish Upon a Star? All of these questions will be answered in our bracket series that's ongoing. It'll continue throughout the month of March, so we will wrap up very soon. Yep, Uh, we'll be wrapping up, bracket up very shortly as soon as we can get everyone together again. Those will be available in that podcast feed that you can download our regular show in as well, so check that out. In the meantime, if you want to see us on social media, on Twitter, our handle is at MediaVoteCast. On Facebook, search MediaVotePodcast and you can find our page there. Like and leave comments if you would like. And if you want to leave us a comment directly or ask us a question or give us feedback to the show, you can email us at MediaVotePodcast at gmail.com. Do so and we might read your email on the air. So please let us know how you think. In the meantime, we'll be back next week. So stay tuned, have a good one, enjoy the Oscars tomorrow, and we'll have way more to talk about next week. Yep, if there's, uh, as I said, if there's anything that you want us to review, yeah. talk about... Ask us. Ask us. Just email us, readablepodcast at gmail.com, and we could read your email yeah. on the air here. Thank you. We'll see you guys next time. And good luck at the Oscars. <laughs> All right. For your consideration, Media Podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>